All right, everyone. Welcome back to Thunderpunk Radio Podcast. Uh, we apologize for the delay. Um, I know it's been about a month since our last episode. That is purely my fault. Uh, my name here, for those of you who are new, is Flirt Chief. I'm here with my uh, partner, Paul Meishner, and this is episode three. Uh, Paul, what have you got for us for Gun of the Day? Oh, for the Gun of the Day, it seems, uh, since with current events, we have an AKM, a Kalashnikov series rifle. So this is actually a Warsaw 10 or Worser 10. These were actually originally made for civilians. Um, yeah, Romanian. This was, I had a, had a brain fart for a minute there. Like a, people kept giving me so much crap in the gameology video for like, don't you know the difference between AK-47 and AK-74? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. But now like I think about that every time I have to like talk about an AK variant rifle. Uh, forget what game we were, we were doing. But yeah, the, the mag definitely looked more like um, it's their version of 5.56, basically. And so the mag is much, it's less curved than this. This is a 30 caliber bullet, 7.62 by 4.9, or 3.9, forgive me. And so it curves a lot more. But anyway, this is like the classic, you know, AK that you see in all the movies. Um, I mean, there's different models out there. It's like different nationalities. They all are basically the same thing, same operation. And even like the AK-104, and the more advanced rifles still, you know, are built off of this, this, this really basic platform. It's very durable, very reliable. Um, Garen Thumb just did an amazing, uh, this one passed the ice test, but the AR passed the mud test, which was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's a great ranch gun. It's a good all-around rifle. When we were doing raids in Iraq, and we would, you know, take people, we'd take most of their weapons, but we'd always leave one AK with the family so that way they could defend themselves. It's, it's just a really good all-around all-around rifle and so this one the warser 10 they were originally made for civilians by romania and then imported and they were only made to fit a 10-round magazine then the importers um the 10-round magazines aren't like you can buy shorter magazines you know this one was acquired during freedom week uh which we can get into later but um the 10-round magazine designed for this was a single stack and so uh paddle release what they had to do was machine out, I don't know if you can see that with the light, but they had to machine out uh, the part where the magazine goes in to make it wider. And so these are a little rough and you can take a file to it or a Dremel, um, you know, and, and make it a little better. But I don't really have a problem with it. Steel mags and um, Bakelite mags. Bakelite is like, um, do you know what a Bakelite mag is? No, I don't. Is it a material? So, yeah, yeah. So it's like this polymer, not polymer, it's like a, like a fiberglass kind of plastic material that um everybody loves it's getting real real like you know i don't want to say kitsch it's, it's really fashionable now but it's just like this material that they made a lot of magazines it's like a like a kind of a poop brown color <laughs> i don't want to insult it i love eggs <laughs> but um i actually was issued an ak-47 like a legitimate russian milled ak-47 when i was in iraq as a private um actually i, I think i just got my e-force as a specialist and it was just for weapons familiarization for the platoon and it was awesome. And I had like a crap ton of stain, or steel uh, AK mags and I brought them back with me and someone stole them out of my armory when we got back. Oh, I could drive rough. up and grab them. So I had like 30 steel mags from, you know, from Iraq. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a great rifle. If you already have an AR, you know, I'd say go pick up an AK if you're looking to expand. Um, it's probably the two most popular rifles in the world. It's just... It's it's a it's a great rifle. So this is this is the rifle of the day, AKM specifically the Warser 10. The reason this is an AKM and not an AK47 is it's stamped. 
design was originally made to be stamped, but the first ones were machined out of a, a solid block of steel. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're just, they're awesome. So any questions? You said this was a Romanian one, right? Um, yes. And now I know there's a, lot, a big debate in the AK community about like which country you're supposed to import from, where the highest quality ones are, uh, where would people want to import, or where would people want their AK-47 or AK-74 or whatever to have been imported from? Uh, um, you know, these Warser 10s can be great. Some of them are kind of garbage, but they can be wonderful. Uh, any Russian AK you can get a hold of is awesome. Um, there's a lot of Norinkos. There was actually a lot of imported Chinese AK rifles that were really well made, and really reliable. But then there's other years where they're not that good. So like Norinko makes, because they, they make military weapons for, you know, Chinese government, they have pretty high standards uh, for durability and everything for certain weapons. But then they'll also make knockoffs. Like they make like a Remington 870 shotgun. It's kind of crap. <laughs> <laughs> They're like there's a lot of people like their first 1911 back in like the 80s was like a Norinco 1911 import, which is kind of weird. You know, you're buying a 1911, like the, the pistol for American freedom from uh, from, uh, you know, a Chinese communist uh, country. But uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's a, it's, it's mix and match right now. You can't get any Russian imports because they, they banned them, which is like really frustrating. Um, but there's a bunch of American companies and PSA actually. PSA is like a mid-tier AR manufacturer. And what's cool about um, PSA is they, you know, they made a Yeet cannon. They might have made a Biden gun. So they make a bunch of low receivers for AR-15s. But they came out with an AK-74. And my buddy, Blue Gene Operator, who's got a YouTube channel and a cool Instagram account, um, he's been running a PSA AK-74 for a while, and he really likes it. So, you know, just shop around. Um, if you can get a hold of a Russian one and you got the money for it, shh, go for it. Yeah, I remember when PSA came out with those. They had like an FN barrel uh, that was uh, supposed to be like super high quality. And I remember staring at them January, February 2020, and they were just out of stock. And then COVID happened and they were out of stock like that entire year. I couldn't I couldn't get one. And now I just looked and they're, they're in stock, but it's like, um, actually the pricing isn't that bad from what I was expecting. You know, they're still in like the seven $800 range. Um, you know, I was thinking I'd go there and it'd be like $1,600 or two grand or something. Um, Sounds so, like pandemic prices. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, not to be a shill for PSA or anything, but I mean, those seem like reasonable prices and heard good things from, from them. So, you know, anyone looking for an AK want to get their, um, I guess while Russian swag is still cool, which it may not be considering current events, which we'll have to get into here in a bit, considering what just happened well, overnight. Maybe. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to talking about this because like, it's really cool how we're we're almost always on the same page, but from like very different perspectives. We follow the same people, but we also follow enough of the different people where it's very complimentary. You know what I mean? Yeah, most definitely. And you know, it's because we started from the same place of just like you know, leave me alone, leave other people alone, and let's be as self sufficient as possible. And you know, I took that in one direction, you took it in the other, but we still come from the exact same perspective in like a lot of ways. So. You know, the, the worlds tend to mesh in a lot of really fascinating ways, which is something we'll get into. But before we do that, let's talk about the coin of the day for the day. Um, so this is in crypto. We're going to talk about the Phantom blockchain. Uh, it's uh, the coin tag is FTM. That is what you look up if you're into it. Um, it's what I've currently been a complete dirty degen in for the last uh, month and a half, trying to farm as much as I can. And it's probably going to be a decent place to farm for the next eight months for those of y'all who want to be degenerates and just make money, providing 
nothing to the crypto sphere, building nothing of value for anyone. This is purely a degenerate space right now. And, uh, you know, make hay while the sun shines, right? And the sun is shining, brothers. Now, for, for those of us that aren't as familiar with crypto, what do you mean? I have an idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? Like, this is a degenerate space. Like, you're not making cool NFTs. You're not going to, like, power, like, an NGO that builds wells for pygmies. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Um, so phantom is what is called EVM compatible, which means it is essentially a copy of Ethereum in a lot of different ways. And things that what, what does EVM stand for? Um, Ethereum virtual machine. Um, and so this means that any um, DAP, which is a decentralized application that's been created on Ethereum can just be copy pasted onto phantom ad infinitum. Um, and so people are taking things that already work and they're copying them and then just starting them again. And then someone's taking that thing that's just barely even started now and copying them again. Um, there's a great website called whatthefork.xyz. Um, you can go look at all of the forks that have launched of existing protocols. Um, and you can also see how quickly they're collapsing into nothing. <laughs> like I was scrolling through um, last night, just looking through all the tomb forks on Phantom. And tomb is like a, a protocol for basically um, making liquidity tradable. So you could pr provide liquidity to the Phantom network while still trading it. Um, it kind of failed. I don't know if it's actually working or not, but um, there have been something like 50 copies of Tomb in January and February alone. And over half of them have already collapsed. So like it's <laughs> like, they're not doing anything of value there. They're just showing up and they're launching new pro product protocols. And if you stay there for like, what started out is like, you could be there for a week or two and then leave. And then the next one launched and you could be there for four days and then leave. And then um, I was in one last night um, that I could only stay in for like five hours before the whole thing collapsed. Like it's, it's getting awfully degenerate out there. For those of y'all that are into, you know, being complete degenerates on the blockchain, it's the space to be because people are just copy pasting things that really add no value and bring nothing to the economy whatsoever. And if you want to be a degenerate, you can hop in and hop out and make money off of, you know, the people who don't realize they need to actually get out of these things in time. Um, so, you know, it's not exactly the kind of thing you would advertise as like, oh, crypto is going to save the world. But like, look, it's a place that's completely unregulated. And this means that, um, you know, on the one hand, people are going to create really cool and awesome things that are incredibly value with no incredibly valuable to the user with no government oversight and, you know, complete freedom for you. And on the other hand, this also means that it's like a wild west in the sense. And there's lots of people who are just in it for a quick buck. Um, in and out. And, you know, if you're savvy, you can go in and take money from these people that are trying to do this. And if you're not so savvy, you can go in and get blown up and have someone take all of your stuff. And there's no recourse because it is the Wild West. And that's why I love it. And, you know, in time, opportunities like this will come less and less frequently. But for the time being, for any degenerates listening, you got about uh, maybe six months before phantom starts to blow up and for different reasons, which I'll actually get into in my sub stack. For those of y'all who are curious to follow, I'm um, in the middle of writing a very long review about what phantom's doing, why, and how long it will last. Even for those of you who just want to like just buy the token, sit, and then sell it later. Um, like I said, there's about a six month window for while this is going to be good and you'll get more details on Substack. So definitely check it out, flirtcheap.substack.com. But um, let's let's pivot into some current events. Unless you got more questions, Paul, feel free to. Um, well, I have two things. One, I, I do want to talk about Shot Show for like five six minutes, just 
briefly and then uh we're gonna we're gonna release some footage on our youtube channel um my computer actually the computer where i'm at went down and i just got it back yesterday from this uh this little small business that fixed everything up for me and they did a great job um but i do have a quick question so i'm able to follow you for most of this stuff right and i've kind of been paying attention uh, loosely to crypto since it since it became a thing. Okay, so I have a head start on a few people. I don't. I'm not on the level of you or a couple of my other friends. But for people that have no fucking clue what you're talking about, is it too late? Is it too late to understand all this stuff? Because it's advancing so quickly, right? It almost feel like it feels like if you didn't start with you haven't paid attention as all these things are coming at you. How are you gonna you know even understand any of this at this point? So how would you explain that? I would say that it's not too late. What's going on in crypto is that basically every year there is kind of a new trend as a new thing gets discovered because we're still very early in this space. And as we discover new use cases, new things to make, or in some cases, new scams, um, these protocols can explode fairly quickly. And if you learn what's going on in your given year, you know, you can end up being at the bleeding edge of it and knowing just the same as what someone who's held Bitcoin since 2011 knows about that specific sphere. And, um, you know, in this sense, it's still very early. Um, and, you know, that's something that it's a lesson that I've been learning over the last few years is that like once you figure out like how XYZ thing works, suddenly, you know, there's people who've been in the space for like eight or nine years. They have no idea what's going on just because they're not looking at that area. And so, you know, each year you're going to see a trend emerge, um, a new thing emerge that people can do that they previously couldn't do. And, you know, if it's offering real value, you can gain a lot of wealth by being to those spaces early. Um, one of the things that's going to be a trend this year, for instance, is the ability to communicate from one blockchain to another without having to go to a centralized location first. Um, this happens in multiple different ways. The, these are usually called bridges. Um, which is basically a code for, um, I'd say, a program that's operating on both blockchains and has a way to either communicate with each other or a way to validate what the other blockchain is doing. And through that ability, they can then send anything they want. So you, let's say you own 10 Ethereum and you want to send it to Phantom. Um, these are two separate blockchains. Um, they normally wouldn't talk to each other, but a bridge exists and the bridge charges you a fee. Um, you execute the transaction on one side of the bridge. Once the bridge confirms that transaction, it communicates with the other side of the bridge. And the other side of the bridge executes the transaction for you. And so you can send your 10F to the phantom blockchain and you pay a fee of like 0.2% or something. And so it becomes 9.98F over on Phantom, and then you can use it over there. And the reason why this is a, a bonus or something that people want is that anytime you go to a centralized exchange like Coinbase, um, Binance, Kraken, um, they this, is where, this is where most people start out. Yeah, this is where people start out. And right. previously, if you wanted to go with, from one blockchain to another, you had to go to a centralized exchange. It was the only place you could go. Um, but now that these bridges exist, you don't have to do that anymore. And whenever you go to a centralized blockchain, um, that's where all the authorities are watching because, you know, your account on the centralized blockchain, it has your ID attached to it, social security number, your, your address, everything. And so, you tax know, I keep getting emails like, Hey man, you need to update your tax information. Like, mm -hmm. Exactly. And so they've got all your tax information and the IRS has changed. 
um, the level of scrutiny they're putting on these centralized exchanges now, because it's the only place where they actually have any visibility. And so, um, you know, the fact that these bridges are emerging right now and this technology is emerging creates new opportunities for people to invest and be in the, the cutting edge of what is the new trend for this year. Um, and you know, I heavily suspect that over the course of this year, we'll see a lot of bridges emerge and we'll see a lot of um, what are called interoperability solutions, which is basically when you get a bunch of bridges together or you get one solution that allows you to talk with like 20 or 30 or 40 different blockchains from the same place. Um, and as these emerge, they're incredibly popular for anyone who just really just doesn't want the authorities seeing things, especially if you're not transacting the cash. Cause like, why does the authorities care if I want to go from F to Bitcoin? That I, in my opinion, I don't want that to be a taxable event, even though according to tax law it is. Um, and so, you know, if you do it through a bridge, no one can see it. It's completely anonymous. It doesn't exist as far as the IRS is concerned, but if you do it in a centralized exchange, uh, it's going to be reported to the IRS and you need to factor in the possibility that that's going to be a taxable event and you need to keep money in reserve to pay for those taxes just in case. And, you know, let's say you've held crypto from 2016 to now and, you know, what was maybe $30 is now $4,000. And so what might have been $3,000 is now $400,000. If you want to just make a simple transaction from one crypto to the other, you might not have the cash to pay for uh, taxes on a $400,000 transaction, especially if you're not taking any profit for yourself. And, you know, these bridges end up being highly necessary for a lot of people who just, I wouldn't say live lean, but, you know, there's really no point in having a lot of cash in the bank for the most part, um, you know, once you've got especially now. assets. Yeah, especially now. Um, but even prior to like this crazy inflation moment, you know, having a lot of money in the bank wasn't really sufficient, you know, especially if you know how much you spend in a year, uh, how much you spend in two years, three years. You mean, um, do you mean efficient? What did I say? You said sufficient. Sufficient. Um, yeah, maybe I meant efficient. I don't know. Um, efficient might've made more sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, there's just no point in having more cash in the bank than you're really going to spend in a year anyways. If you have all that cash and you invest it in something, whatever it is, then it's making you more money. Yeah. And, and, and if you have a, a year of cash in the bank as well, there's no real urgency to liquidate in your investments. So, you know, you turn them into cash when the time is appropriate. And other than that, you just, you sit on your investments and you've got your year of cash. So who really cares when you need to cash out? And, um, you know, I think that's how a lot of people in crypto operate. You know, you, know, you might have a net worth of like, 500 million in crypto if you're a real big baller, but you might only have like 20,000, 30,000 in the bank because there's just no point. Uh, you know, unless you've got like a larger family, more expenses, you, know, you own several houses, blah, 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 blah. Then you might have to have more in the bank. But yeah, other, other than that, nah, no one wants to hold around cash to pay taxes on things that aren't turning into cash anyways. So, you know, that's the trend I see happening this year. And, you know, for people who are new to crypto, you know, they the thing to learn right now is to start learning how to, you know, obviously I say this all the time, take self-custody, own assets, but then start learning like, okay, if I wanted to send this from one blockchain to another, how do I do that the simplest way? And, you know, learning what assets are doing that, what protocols are doing that. Because like right now, if you use certain protocols, just by bridging, sending assets on the bridge to the other, these protocols later come out with tokens and they airdrop them to you for free. Um, so there was one that happened a couple of days ago. I wish I could have dropped the alpha on this, but I can't. Um, 
Um, it was called ZK something. I don't remember. It uses, actually, I'm not going to explain it too technical, but um, basically all you had to do was send F on it to uh, another chain using F and um, they airdropped you free tokens, which were worth, you know, several thousand dollars. Um, you know, and this is something you can do as you start learning things and getting to things when they're new. Um, that's the whole game in crypto is you get to something when it's new, especially if it's useful to you and you have value in it. If you're there first, then yeah, there's a whole lot of value you can get. And people also, they use this to trick people. They'll tell you like, oh, we've got this new thing launching. Um, you have to buy it. And that's, that's kind of where it's a mistake. It's really like you have to use it. You find something useful that you can use and it charges you a fee, use it. Um, if you find something new and you have to buy it, that's usually not a good sign. Um, and you want to be a lot more savvy about buying things that are like really new. Um, and you want to be a lot less savvy about using things that are new. If you find a new thing to use, yeah, go for it. Use it just as long as it's not going to be like a, a scam or a hack. You know, just confirm other people have used it. Um, but anyways, I'm rambling a bit long here. Um, yeah, anyways, if you're new to crypto, you're not late. Um, it's still really early. We got a whole another decade of this before this Subscribe economy. to your Substack. You have a how-to crypto. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and even if you don't want to pay the $10 a month, there is a free section on Substack with a lot of free articles um, that can get you started. If you're the kind of person who is self-teaching and can self-learn on your own, there's more than enough to learn from there. Um, it's more than I started on. Um, if you are less of an autodidact, uh, definitely pay for it. I go into a lot more details, a lot more specifics about like what I'm doing, how to do it, why I'm doing it, blah, 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 blah. Um, but anyways, uh, let's pivot to shot show. You wanted to talk about yeah. shot show for five or 10 so, minutes. Yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. It was great. <laughs> um, and, but like, it was mostly awesome. Um, so we, I was concerned about COVID restrictions. I was not going to go there. It's, it's at the, um, the Sands Expo Center and like the Bellagio and the Venetian attached to it. And I really enjoy going. I'm not a Vegas guy. I'm not a like, gambler, you know, um, but I like gun people. I like Liberty people. And this is one of the few places this, and I, I go to a few range day, a few YouTuber range days. And that's about the only like three or four times a year I get to run into these people, you know, and we stay in touch. And so to me, me and the people is the most fun thing, but now I know so many people in the industry and it's, it's genuinely cool just to go like the first time I went to SHOT Show, like I wasn't really in this industry yet, and I was just into the, uh, the film industry. And it was like, I'm a big gun guy. Okay, cool. Oh my gosh, it's right there. Who do I know? And I call someone. Yeah, man, we got you a pass. Just drive out. And like, I was in starving artist mode. I graduated film school and didn't have a lot of money. And I rented a car and drove all the way out there. And I slept in the back of this compact car at an IHOP. <laughs> Or, or at Denny's or something because I didn't get a hotel room. And then finally, one of my friends like, bro, you don't have our company got us a hotel room. Crash on, you know, crash in our suite or whatever. So, but uh, I was just so excited and I walked around. So it's like Disney World um, if you're a real big gun guy because one, it's it's only industry people. You only can go if you're in the firearms industry or the tactical training industry um, or in media. And I, I'm I'm a you know firearms instructor and uh, work in media. And so, um, but yeah, it was just great. And but it was kind of weird the first couple of years because there's a lot of people, they, they give away a lot of swag and they used to give away a lot more swag. And so it got to the point where like people were driving their hover rounds and just like grabbing stuff and throwing it in their basket. It's like, hey, we're here to, like the whole point of this is for media to talk to companies to get the word out about new product, new and innovative products. Right? And so they, one year they cut like, I think 2,500 people from the from the guest list 
it was way more chill after that. It was way cool. You could talk to people and like find out about products. And like I said, we're going to be releasing um, a decent amount of footage, just talking to different people about a bunch of cool products. Um, my friends from Mean Arms were there. Um, mean Arms has these cool polymer AR-15, um, injection molded polymer AR-15 receivers and triggers. Like the triggers have hard metal, like uh, steel inserts, but then polymer on the outside. Um, they have a bunch of innovations. What's, what I really like about that company is they're making products that shouldn't exist. And they know it. They make a lot of California and New Jersey and New York products for AR-15s. And they're like, they're, they're investing time and resources and money into a product that they don't believe should exist. But it's like this weird fine line, like what do you walk down for compliance versus non-compliance, right? Because if everybody just stopped complying, that's, that's you know, ATF, what are they going to do? Arrest every American? How is that going to work? But if only a couple people do it, then a couple people. I mean, look at Colorado when they legalized cannabis. They were the first ones for the most part. And then <laughs> a lot of problems came with that. But once it's legalized everywhere, there's not as many problems. You know what I'm saying? So that was cool. Um, my buddy Brody was there. Um, he's a former SEAL Team 6 guy. And he devised this trigger that is less likely to accidentally be pulled by your gear. Um, I have an instance where I was... <laughs> We were doing a train up before going overseas in Florida. And I was a squad leader or team leader. I think I was a team leader. And my saw gunner went down in this training exercise. And he was shot. We're running blanks with blank iron adapters. And so I relived the glory days because I used to be a saw gunner. And I, the saw, for people that are listening, um, M249, it's a, uh, they call it the squad automatic weapon. It's a belt fed light machine gun that shoots the same round 5.56 as your standard M4. Um, I'm a big fan of them. I think they're a great asset to a fire team. Anyway, so I picked up the saw and I had two of my guys start carrying the saw gunner out and I threw my rifle on my back. I know I put it on safety. And as I'm running through the woods, I hear, uh, I felt it. I felt the heat on my Achilles through my boot. And if we were not using blanks, I would have shot myself right through the fucking foot, possibly my Achilles, because the safety came off on my gear. Even though I had my weapon strapped tight, um, it just it just came off. And with an AR-15, if you, this is an AK, but if you rock it like that, there's a possibility of it going off. What's more is there's a possibility of like something hitting that trigger, like, like a, you know, strap or whatever. That's why we try to, you know, <laughs> team leader used to always be like, don't look like a gypsy, but uh, not have everything hanging off. You know, we use electrical tape. For things. Well, anyways, this trigger has like an internal trigger that you have to pull that first. And it's, it's just really, really unique. And so I was excited about that. But there was a lot of cool products. I got to talk with FN about their new FN High Power. And just, I mean, it was great. And, you know, my buddy Vince from Drake and Train Division, he got to go to the SHOT Show for the first time. And we talked with a bunch of tactical trainers. And it's really cool because what I like about Drake and Train Division is, you know, we, we don't make a lot of money. <laughs> we just want to teach people, right? And um, so we make enough money to justify it. And some of our courses, like half our instructors are volunteering. Because if you don't have enough students to pay all the instructors, you know, that's just, just fucking math, right? So you know, we'll have extra instructors come or sometimes I'll volunteer and, you know, they'll give us some ammo. We get some range time after, but it's just, it's just fun teaching. And so it was cool to get in there and to represent Drake and Train Division at SHOT Show, get ourselves out there because we do a good job. We do a real good job teaching. We're really competitive, really inexpensive rates. And so that was an awesome experience. And then as far as the mask thing, you know, because it's Vegas and the rule is you have to wear a mask. And this is my people that are listening. Um, I think cloth masks can help drop droplet spread. It also means if you put on a cloth mask and I accidentally spit on you while I'm talking, it's going to stop that, right? 
um, they do nothing for airborne virus. I explain it like there's a the rainstorm outside, you take a five gallon bucket, you set it outside, and you cup your hands over the bucket. Okay, the bucket's still getting filled, man. You know, so it's doing virtually nothing. I also think private establishment, you want to like, you know, have a rule that's great, but for the government to tell you what to do when they're usually wrong about shit. So I wasn't going to wear a mask. And, you know, because I didn't get my tickets right away, I had to pay some money for it. And, you know, it's expensive to get out there and stuff. I'm fortunate, you know, I, I have a place to stay out there and stuff, but I was just going to turn around and leave if they were going to be assholes about it. But half the people didn't wear masks and the other half did. And, you know, these poor like staff workers, they stationed them outside the, like the little convention halls. I only got told twice they need to put on a mask. And I just, normally I'm like, no, I don't. And I'm polite about it, but this time I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And I just kept walking. And so I never wore a mask once the whole time I was there. Um, Vince didn't, most of the people that I hang out with and I know didn't. And Brandon Herra, uh, Herrera, you know, the AK guy, I ran into him. He's a, he's a cool, cool dude, good buddy. And he's like, uh, you know, this is a, this is a wonderful experiment on compliance you know, because he wasn't going to wear a mask and they didn't really care, you know, and I think it's finally lifted now in that too. So, so that was like a, a fascinating thing. So I'm like, how is the Liberty, the gun community going to handle this? You know, and most people just didn't a lot, a lot more of like the, the people working in the booths did because they didn't want to like, it's expensive. Yeah. Products. And like, I understand picking and choosing your battles. I'm taking a fight soon. You know, um, and I'm going to wear a mask while I'm on the plane. You know, I think it's kind of dumb at this stage. Um, also, by the way, if anybody wants to wear a mask, I'm totally for that. Do, what, do whatever you want to do, you know. But I'm going to because I don't have the income right now or the time or the resources to, to disrupt a flight and miss a flight and not get back to my dog and not, you know, get back to work. I've got a lot of shit going on. So I, I just don't. But I don't go into a grocery store. I don't go into almost anywhere. Um, I had to mail some medicine to my buddy um, who's living in a RV right now and so he says it's my place and I went to like three different spots so now I'm tangenting and so I decided to put on a mask after I went to three different UPSs and then I'm like oh you can't come in here without a mask finally I put it on because I'm mailing my buddy medicine so we, we do have to pick and choose our battles but that was one battle I'm not going to the world's largest arms tactical and outdoor expo be part of media you know help promote the message of liberty and the tools with which you secure and defend liberty and put on a fucking mask that I don't believe in, that doesn't work. And remember, biological warfare training, you know, medical school, UCLA for pre-hospital care, you know? So like, yeah, and that was good. That was, that was a positive experience. There wasn't as many people, but overall it, it was, it was just great. I can't wait to share the footage. I got to format it and edit it. We'll release clip by clip by clip. And then, uh, then we'll just release it all together. But yeah, there was a lot of cool stuff there. So. Uh, it's nice to hear, man. And, you know, it definitely is correct that if you're going to pick and choose a few battles, there's ones that you definitely should be picking. And it sounds like you're you're picking the right ones for the most part. And, you know, I, I tend to agree with the airplane thing. I mean, you really got to have a good bit of time or, you know, your own solid stream of income that's completely, you know, safe in a lot of ways before you can really start picking the this, the battle where you can afford to like, oh, well, I guess I can't fly anymore. I'll just rent a car and drive, not a big deal. Or I'll just drive cross, yeah. cross country, take the bus, blah, 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 blah. Cause I mean, the flight is a huge convenience and um, losing access to that, it's major. But you know, also I'm about to be traveling to a few different states here in a little bit and I'm not flying, I just decided not to. Um, one, because it's way more convenient for me to bring guns this way. And two, also I just, I don't want to do it. Like, I just, 
I, I hate it, man. I can't stand it. And like these people, I don't feel like they deserve my money. So if I have the ability to not fly, I'm just going to not fly. And if I, that's, that's my way too, just cause like, I love road trips. I mean, I think you've seen pictures of when I've done to it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the bed I built in the back? And yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, I love road trips. I can bring my dog in the gun thing. The only places I don't fly to with a firearm are New York and New Jersey but I'm not planning on working there anytime soon. <laughs> right. I'm going, well, I'm going independent with the film industry and, you know, but like I usually travel with two, two pistols, usually, um, you know, a pistol and a backup, but like flying with a rifle. Well, what if I want a rifle or a scatter gun? And mm-hmm. I know the people that aren't gun people, they're like, what do you need a rifle for? Well, you don't need a seatbelt. You need it. <laughs> like, you know, if you're driving your car, you know, you can, like, I usually have a scatter gun with me at all times, legally in whatever state I'm in. And I like scatter guns because they do take a little more training than a rifle, but it's a great all-purpose firearm that does hey, almost uh, everything. Quick, quick right? question here. When you're saying scatter gun, are you referring to shotgun or something different? Shotguns. Yep, okay. I'm referring to shotgun. So, yeah, I've, I've got a few a few shotguns, but I, I want to get a Benelli M4 so bad. Really <laughs> yeah, mine's but you have one, though, don't you? That's your yeah. Gucci gun. Yeah. It's in pieces yeah. in the other room, man. Um, right. It's it's an embarrassing story, but I, I got to admit. Um, so I installed like an oversized bolt release on the Benelli M4 because the stock right. bolt release is trash. You got tiny little Trump hands? Uh, it's not even my fault, man. It's the gun's fault, I swear. Um, they made the perfect gun and I found something wrong with it, okay? <laughs> but the, so the bolt release, um, you literally can't operate it with, with one hand. You literally have to take your your shooting hand off the gun and actually depress it with your thumb because you can't get enough force with a single finger because it's it's tiny it's like the size of like a pencil eraser um it just doesn't work so you, you buy an oversized one you replace it and as soon as i did that um the the, the like uh the follower in the there's i don't know what it's called i'm terrible with shotgun parts um it's the part that like pushes the next round up after the uh, bolt slides back um the follower stopped operating correctly and I've taken it apart, been trying to continuously reinstall the part to see if it'll work properly. And it just won't, I reinstalled the old one and it still won't operate properly. So like, Oh, fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm the, the big retard gunsmith who can't do it. So <laughs> don't, that's why I was giggling when I mentioned people Dremel. Cause like, when you hear people that are inexperienced, yeah, then I got on my drum, you're like, no. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know? I was yeah. feeling the same way, dude. You're talking about an AK imported from like Romania and something. Like, yeah, I took my Dremel to it and just widened the, uh, are you serious? <laughs> you didn't slip. You're not worried. You're going to like uh, just go a, a millimeter too far and suddenly mm-hmm. your magazines won't hold. <laughs> well, I realize I'm, I like now that I'm into the conversation a little better, but like I haven't had any caffeine in two, three days now. So uh, solid. Rawls, yeah yeah and like i'm dude every day that i wake up in the morning and have like one sugar-free red bull my day's just always better it's like the right combination of like bullcum and like caffeine and like because you know that's what taurine's made from right Those i did people. not know that are you serious yeah, you know yep, <laughs> yum yum 100%. that's why there's a bull logo on the fucking shit dude uh, why do they have to make it out of bull semen is that the only place you get it from apparently Apparently, I mean, I was contacted once they wanted to use my semen because they said there's like extra levels in it, but I think that's just because I was drinking so much Red Bull. So it's just too potent. Anyway. FDA couldn't approve yeah. it. <laughs> no Meixner, no Meixner taurine. This is too much. Um, oh, well, yeah, you- I wanted to earlier mention a couple more things about this. I'm like, why am I so foggy? Oh, I was going to grab a Red Bull before this and our uh, sugar free Red Bull and just. Well, it's a bull semen, right? <laughs> 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 
I was going to say Steve-O uh, from Jackass, mm-hmm. uh, his first Joe Rogan interview, uh, which was a great, great interview. Um, he, he asked him, like, was there anything your parents were like, you know, too much? He was like, my dad, the only thing was when I drank, was it? I think it was, yeah, it might have been donkey or horse or horse come. That, that was like, yeah, I was disappointed in you. Then. Like, that's the only thing out of all the crazy shit I've done, you know, I was getting killed by alligators or drinking beer through my butthole or whatever. And I was fine with all that. It was the, I'm like, yeah, that's, I wouldn't do that either. I'll eat a testicle. I'll totally eat raw testicle, but. Uh, it's wild, man. Cause you know, I'm just trying to imagine like them at the lab and like, we got to find something else to add to the Red Bull. And uh, you know, they're like, Oh, I like, where do you like, compound called taurine it's uh full of energy for you i was like where do you get it from okay we can get it from berries uh, there's a tree bark that makes it um or we could take bull semen and then the globalist elites are like let's play the joke on them let's put the bull semen in their drink <laughs> and it's organic it's carnivore <laughs> just saying yeah, is it a semen carnivore <laughs> it has to be yeah yeah it's an animal product there's no way to be concerned Dude, next next podcast, so you're gonna be like jacked and like veins gonna be popping out. Of <laughs> Flirt, what'd you do? Straight from the source, man. Straight from the source. Like, okay, all right. Don't mess with Texas. I got you. Wait, wait, wait. Is my dad watching this? <laughs> oh man. Um, hold on. I was gonna ask you a question. You mentioned um, Draken training. Y'all went to um, Draken. Draken. My bad. I, that's a that's word right. I read very often and hear very, very seldomly. Um, so Draken training, you guys went to chat show and you guys actually got to, um, you know, promote Draken training. Just mingle, meet a bunch of people. Yep. Is talk this, to companies, review products. Is this the, the first year you got to like actually represent Draken at chat show? Yeah. Well, this is the first year I've worked for Draken. So like Vince and I talked about starting a training company. Vince owns Draken Security. I've worked off and on with him. That's actually how I met Vince. And then the other owner, Jamie, is a former FBI guy. I think he was an Intel analyst. I'm not 100% sure, but good guy and also an actor. He's an Asian dude that speaks fluent Spanish. So he gets really interesting actor in acting roles. I hit him up and I'm like, hey, man, uh, I got this thing, Tenant. Uh, you know, I couldn't say who it was for, but, you know, Chris Nolan's Tenant. I need guys that know how to roll. I need guys that know how to like handle weapons and, you know, are physical and stuff. He's like, hey, I, I appreciate it, man, but, like, my, my boy Vince, you know, I called my boy Vince. You know, he knows how to do all that shit. And I had only met Vince once, but when I was working security, everybody's like, hey, are you one of Vince's guys? And you guys will understand when you when you see the video. He's, you know, padded up, like uh Hispanic, like Mexican, German, I think. And like uh, I mean, just eth- ethnically, he's a little shorter than me, but just you know, tough dude, little little gruff. Um, was with 10th Mountain with a recon unit, did a lot of cool shit in the military in like the 60s. I'm kidding, Vince. Um <laughs> the, the late 80s and uh early 90s. Or maybe no, I'm an asshole. It was all in the '90s. He's he's only a few years older than me, but uh, we joke because I tell all our students that he's a Korean vet, and they're like, "Oh, really?" Because they have no problem. <laughs> he's like, oh, goddamn, But anyways, yeah. So like, um, how this company started, uh, we had talked about it. I'm not saying it was my idea or anything like that. There goes one of my shotguns. Um, he, uh, you know, he's been wanting to do this for a while and I love teaching and everything. And I was back in Wisconsin, actually, when they finally started, because I ended up having to have all those, you know, that surgery and stuff. It took me a little bit longer. But, yeah, when I got back, we just uh, started teaching with them right away. And it's just been great. And these guys are like, I, I could get emotional talking about it. They're just like solid fucking friends that are there for you. And the best part is everybody gives each other shit. 
constantly. And like Vince who owns the company has never been like, Hey guys, you can't pick on. No, he takes it and gives it back. And like, you know, it's just this great camaraderie group of dudes. And uh, we just want to help and, and, and teach people. And so, yeah, this is the first time I got to represent them there. When I went to the IV88 range day, um, Iraq veteran 8888, uh, Eric and Chad, and then uh, Brandy, his wife is like also their producer behind the scenes and stuff. They throw on this range day for all these YouTubers and everything. And I've been going for quite a while because I worked with Eric on Gunny Time TV and we became good friends right away. I wore all the Drake and stuff out there too because I really believe in what they're doing. All of our instructors teach differently too, which is usually pretty awesome. Sometimes it can be frustrating, but um, so like you're always going to learn something new, even if you take the same class over, but with a different instructor. And uh, it was, it was just great to, to get them that exposure. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, that was your, your question uh, kind of went off on a tangent. Yeah, I, it was a leading question because I was really kind of curious about how Drake had started, you know, um, what exactly your role was in it and, um, you know, what it's like getting to go there and actually get, get to represent Draken at SHOT Show as compared to, you know, going in, uh, you know, going with someone who's more interested in what's happening there, but now actually going there with something to bring and be like, hey, guys, this is the new thing. Check us out. Um, and also, you yeah, know. I was, I was really happy about it, too. And what, what's really nice is like, you know, some training companies are like, hey, you have to do everything through us. And, and you know, or if you go to range, you're not allowed to teach unless you work through them or whatever. Um, Cause like I bring a lot of friends to ranges and somebody's like, Hey, you can't teach. I'm like, I can't teach my friend how to shoot. It's not paying me. He's like, Oh, well, I guess that's okay. I'm like, do you want to repeat customer? You know, but with Drake and like, I have, I was teaching before I started working with them. I would just do these private lessons. And I was focusing mostly on actors and filmmakers. And I think I'm one of the only ones that like encouraged um, the directors and the cinematographers, because when I was working on gunny time, I'd almost run like a B unit. Um, I was an AD. I'm not the best assistant director, folks. Like I can do it and I can really focus on it. But I was more like kind of running the B unit and being like weapon safety tech advising and stuff. And um, one of the best jobs ever. That was great. But the cinematographer would come over and be like, okay, we'd have this like, you know, 1930s German machine gun or, you know, and something, you know, some rifle from the 1800s. Like, hey, so what's different about this? What's interesting? What should I focus and zoom in on? We had this camera that was like 10,000 frames per second phantom camera hey phantom um and you can see That's like yeah you can see the bullet leaving the muzzle and the gas expanding all like it goes it's it's insane right they have to have like all these hard drives and everything and they have fiber optics going from the camera to the hard drives there's so much data coming out but i realized that like man these movies all of them would be more realistic or like you know a point i have about um let me check the time that we're at here because i don't want to oh, we're good we're good um so uh tomorrow war i think with chris pratt it's a fun movie i really like if you liked independence day with will smith you'll like tomorrow war some people are like oh they're copying well i mean there's only so many things you can do and yeah they, there's bits and pieces taken from a bunch of movies but if you just like turn they, the most of the logic stuff's good enough and if you're a gun guy they get a, a lot of military stuff right too it's it's cool and it's fun i really enjoyed it but apparently from what i heard talking to the armorer they did a lot of reloads because they're just running through like, you know, like just unloading full auto and you never, you rarely seem to do a reload. Well, they filmed it, but it didn't make it, you know, on the, on the final cut. So it's sitting mm. somewhere on the editing floor, so to speak. And for those of you, like almost everything's done digitally. Even when we shoot on film, we still edit digitally, but leaving it on the editing room floor literally refers to back when you edited with big rolls of film and you would pull 
find the frame, there'd be a little light underneath, and you'd be okay, right there, and then you cut it. And that piece would fall on the floor. And so that didn't make it into the film. So it ended up on the editing room floor. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Um, but anyway, so the editor, I don't know if they know anything about firearms, but like it would have been cool to have a couple reloads in there, which makes it more realistic. You know what I mean? And so like when I was directing my short films, I had my um, my composer who wrote the music come over and because there's a 357 Magnum that's used in one of my short films. I had her hold it and cycle through it and feel the weight of it. And she was like, I think I wrote better music. Like I had her hold so many of the props and stuff. But like if more people on a film set are aware of firearms and firearm safety, there's less likely one that accidents will happen. Cause I get fucking annoyed with people when they're being stupid with firearms. Man. Like after I tell them a couple of times, you know, I don't care if it's a fucking rubber gun, don't fucking point at me. I'm going to punch you in the fucking face, you know? Um, and then the other thing is like, so it's going to be safer, but it's just going to be better movies. It's going to be more realistic. You know what I mean? Like Michael Mann, Black Hat was a little whatever, but like he finds a way to shoot realistic action and still make it really stylized. And I like that. You know what I mean? So you can make shit look cool and still be real. So I didn't know he made Black Hat. That movie didn't really feel like a Michael Mann movie at all. I actually saw that at my very first shot show because I am a di like he's one of my top favorite directors of all time. And I found a movie theater that was playing overnight. So I was just going to go and like watch this movie and then fall asleep in the movie theater because I was too, too poor to, well, that and like, I could have gotten a really cheap hotel room, but like SHOT Show back then, there was no hotel rooms. There was no more hotel rooms available. Yeah, makes anyway. sense. You know, so I actually shot, saw Black Hat at my first SHOT Show years ago, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, was that like it was, I don't know. 2012, when did that movie come out? No, because I was in film school. At the, well, it might have been my first or second year out of film school. Yeah, because I think I was seeing Redbox Girl, which is just this girl I met at a Redbox, so I called her Redbox Girl. Uh, <laughs> no, I know the feeling. <laughs> was that? I, I know the feeling. You got to make up names for women, unfortunately. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, make, well, I, I don't know about you, sexist, but I make up names for everybody. But... Oh, okay. I only do it for women. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Yeah, yeah. Pet, pet name, you know? Yeah. No. Um, where were we? You asked about that was a that was a rant. Oh yeah, sorry. I was talking about Back how um, teaching. Oh, Black Hat didn't feel like a Michael Mann movie. But uh, prior to that, we're talking about how um, you know, teaching. when everyone is involved with weapons, it feels better. You have this kind of holistic view of like teaching people, even the people who aren't directly handing them. Just right. So them so. I started teaching film people because I wanted that to get better. And it happened. I was working on this TV show called Sequestered. It was on Crackle. It was like the first show I got because I got I was going to get into stunts after getting out of film school. But I got smoked by a car on my motorcycle and broke some shit. And so my friend Michaela, um, who's very awesome person, like really cool, hardworking person, hilarious, badass chick. She's like, hey, I got a job for you, you know, and I was a PA and I didn't know what I was doing. But you're basically the grunt of the film world. And so we were filming this one scene where um, is it Patrick Walburton was uh, a great actor, really kind, great dude to work with. He was holding a Glock. He was holding it like, uh, um, here's a little 1911. He was, holding, you know, here, this will be better. Let's see. Um, he was holding it like this with his thumb behind the slide. And I was like, uh, now I'm a little older for a PA because, you know, I did the military thing first. I went to film school at 29, graduated at 31. So most PAs are just getting out of film school you know what i mean um so they're like 21 so i'm like you know big scary look 
dude, a little older, but I'm also like, I was in the military and the film set runs a lot like the military and there's a chain of command. You can just walk up to an actor and start talking to him for multiple reasons um, and multiple good reasons too. And you don't just walk up to the director. You can say hi once in a while, but like there's reasons you don't do this. And it's not about ego either. It's about efficiency on set and chain of command. And so I go to the key set PA who's a little younger than me, but he was a solid dude. I'm like, Hey, do you see that? And he looks like, what's something wrong with that? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, go talk to the uh, AD right now, the assistant director, because he knew my background and he knows. And also I, I stay in my lane, but I'm on a film set. I'm not trying to improve anything else other than my lane, try to be the best, most durable, awesome, sexy cog in the machine. And if everybody does that. You have a fucking solid machine, right? Cause this is making such a team effort. And so he knew that about me. And he's like, well, Paul's not going to say anything, you know, <laughs> unless this is a serious thing. So I went and talked to the AD. He was like the dude from Alabama or Georgia grew up shooting. He's like, Oh yeah. Hey, go teach him how to shoot. And so I got to teach Patrick Walbert and how to properly hold a pistol. And I've actually improved in my skills, not just teaching, but only my weapons handling skills even since then. But it was such a great feeling. I'm like, I've always enjoyed firearms. I've, I've taught people how to shoot since I began shooting, since my uncle taught me how to shoot. Because I think it's a good skill that everybody should have. And also for politics, it's a lot harder to be lied to when you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? When you know what you're talking about and they don't, like shoulder thing that goes up. You know that <laughs> Yeah. Dude, I still say that without even thinking about it on these gameology videos. And I'll see in the comments, oh, that's so based. Oh, I love that he keeps referencing that because I didn't even think about it. But anyway, so... So yeah, I've been teaching on the side and what's cool about Draken is they're like, yeah, keep doing that. Like you can, and plus it's a different style of teaching. Like I have a handgun familiarization class where we go through like, you know, a single action revolver, you know, and you got to cock the hammer every time. You know what I mean? And also, I, I love that you've got like 20 guns like in arm's reach right now. <laughs> you no, know, I couldn't find my AK for a minute and I panicked because I'm like, well, I didn't panic, but I'm like, you know, everything's secure. I keep most of my weapons at a storage facility that's like locked and monitored and all this other shit, but I have a couple of them. And um, so, and I was actually cleaning some of the ones I had in storage. So like I set those out, I'm looking for my AK and it was in my safe. <laughs> it was just in the back corner of the safe. And I don't know why I didn't like look in there twice, but. Right, just yeah. hidden behind like a dozen other guns, right? <laughs> no, well, three actually, just three. So, um, but anyways, uh, backtracking. Yeah, so that's what's cool about Another thing that's cool about Draken is like when we go up, we teach at California Tactical Academy and you learn how to like, you know, draw and present and do all that stuff. But when I'm teaching at a normal indoor range, they, they don't let you do that stuff. And it's understandable. Some ranges do, some don't. But like if you just have yokel okels coming in and you don't know them, like you don't mm. want to be drawing and shooting themselves. And, and you're also not allowed the rapid fire. So you have to wait one 1,000. Well, there's tons of shit you can work on. And for me, that's a good environment for a new person to come. And we run through like, you know, here's a single action, all right? First, I'm gonna clear it. We're gonna take it to half cock, open the loading gate, and I'm gonna look in. And it's completely clear. This is just a little 22. So watch what happens when I pull the trigger. Absolutely nothing. Single action means the trigger does one thing. And all the trigger does is it drops the hammer. So we're rotating the cylinder, pulling this back. I have to do that manually, all right? Now, a double action, it's a couple different, well, I won't give you the whole class. So we open, make sure it's clear, watch what happens when I pull the trigger. You see that? So watch the trigger now when I cock the hammer back. That's single action and double action. So what I do with most people is we start out with a single action, kind of like learn how to drive a stick shift before you learn automatic. 
Then we do a double action revolver. Then we move to a single action pistol, double action pistol, striker fired pistol. And that way you, any handgun you come across, except for like a muzzle loader or a cap and ball, you're good. You, you know how to clear, load, unload. You're not fucking John Wick. You know what I mean? But you, you could get there. And you, you learn like, look, this, this right here is much more capable of defending yourself than this, right? For multiple scenarios. For those listening, the first this is a semi-auto handgun, and the second this is also a semi-auto, but it's a revolver. It's a so, single-action so revolver. Double-action revolver. Double action, okay. sorry. So Actually, there are a couple. The yeah. <laughs> so there are a couple, uh, and I might have them on my Instagram. I might not. I got to together my old computer. There are some semi-automatic revolvers, but they're very rare. Automatic refers to it's automatically reloading another round. So semi-automatic and fully automatic are both automatic. It's just semi only reloads the round and that's it. Fully automatic reloads the round and then fires it again as long as you have the trigger pulled. So I'm holding up a Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0, 5-inch. I love this gun. I really like it a lot. I'm, I like single action better than striker. Striker fire. That means there's like something blocking the firing pin. And when you pull the trigger, that blocks and they pull back the firing pin and then they release it. Okay. This is modern. It's very reliable, very more accurate than I am even. And it's, this is much more suited overall for self-defense. But let's say you just, you're not feeling one of these. And you're feeling this like, you know, solid steel 357 revolver and you like this better. Get this then. Get whatever you're going to shoot. Because I can defend myself. This I've carried this concealed often. Anytime I'm hiking where there's mountain lion or bear or wolf or coyote. Well, if it's just coyote, I'll carry a 9mm. But anything else, anything up to grizzly, I carry this thing with me. You know what I mean? So anyways, backtracking. Um, that's a better class to teach at a range because... You know, I only teach two hours. I let people go over, but they get a good warm fuzzy. You don't have to worry about drying or anything because you're getting exposed to all this new technology. But then like the pistol level one classes that we teach at Draken, you just have one gun. It's a semi-automatic pistol. You can bring your own if you want. Otherwise, most people rent locks. And since I'm working mostly in California, they have real strict restrictions on what handguns you can get. So Glock 19. Glock 19 is just, I wouldn't recommend that in any other state. I say that's a great gun, but there's so many to choose from. Go check it out. But here, not a lot to choose from. Go get a Glock 19. And, um, and I'll, I'll actually bring one in, um, a friend of mine who I've been helping her build it up. I'll bring it in for another podcast and talk about it. But you, most people rent Glock 19s or Glock 17s, and then we have holsters, and you know, you're told to bring a sturdy belt. And so you learn how to you know, draw, present, like draw, present, bring it together, push it forward. And then um, you know, a little more advanced class, but we're only working with one gun, you know? So it's cool that you have the ability to do both. And anyways, I recommend anybody take a firearms class. And if you are competent with firearms, I think everybody should take their friends to the ranch. Take one non-gun friend to the range a month and be safe and have fun in that order. If you do those two things, if we all did that, gun control would be moot in the United States in one year. Every single gun person. Now here's the thing, if you're not good at teaching I still think we should do it because to me, that's the easiest way to defend that freedom as opposed to like getting into a firefight to defend your freedom. I'd much rather inform people so that way they can't be lied to more than like hurt people and possibly hurt myself, you know? But uh, yeah, if you're good at teaching, just real basic, start out with something small. Maybe, you know, you want an excuse to buy another gun, go get a 22 pistol 
they're awesome to teach with. And a lot of people will be so nervous and then they pull the trigger and goes, Psh! oh, you know, it's almost anticlimactic sometimes. But yeah, And they're a lot of fun too. Um, the first guy I brought to my mom keep- was actually a 22. And because she, you know, deathly afraid and uh, there's other things as well. She had a surgery and like, it's, you know, I don't know how well, my mom a 22. Yeah. But like she actually fired the 22 a lot of times. Like I thought she'd put it down like, oh, I don't want to do this. But she kept she stuck with it and it was fun. Um, the only problem was it was an indoor range and the dude next to us. Um, like, I don't know how we oh, got that's the thing with indoor range, pack. is it? Yeah. Like this a 500 dude, Magnum or some shit. He brought like a fucking just fuck huge fuck you rifle. And it had um, uh, what's the word on it? Um, the muzzle device it had on muzzle it break. Like, yeah, it was muzzle break specifically directing all of that energy to the left and right and you know one of those was like directly into our bay and it was loud as fuck and it was scaring the shit out of her and i was like trying to get her like hey like look like wait okay he's reloading step up you can do it now and like it was so bad like when we brought our target up to the front he fired once and it tore our target in half like it just ripped it clean in half i'm like what are you doing with that in here dude there's an outdoor ranch just go yeah so can i say like there's something to be said for range etiquette and there's something to be said for being polite and considerate, you know, like, let's say that guy had no clue after that first shot, that dude should have been like, you know what? I'm sorry. I will find another range to go to or wait until there's nobody in the range. You know, and, that, and that's on you, man. Like we joke, like when, cause like we do rifle, t- like my instructor buddies and everything, we still train out in the desert just for fun. Cause it's cool. Cause like, okay, I could go work out. Like I could go run a marathon or I could put on all my fucking gear and go do like bounding drills and buddy team movements. One's way more fun and probably a little more practical. I mean, I don't know, at least for what I do for a living, you know, cause uh, you know, I, I still do security work, you know, kind of, you know, high-end security work where we need to be able to do that shit. But backtacking, that been known better, you know, like uh, we joke, uh, you know, guys that operate or whatever, we joke about having muzzle device, like, oh man, it really mitigates recoil and helps with accuracy. My buddies hate it, you know, it's like this kind of a right. well-known thing. Why would you do that to a stranger? You know, that, that actually upsets me a little bit. It yeah. Person. It, it upset me too. Cause like there's certain guns I have that I would never take to an indoor range. Um, just because like, Hey, this muzzle brake kind of sucks. Um, like and BG you got in the closet. Of the <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, let's make sure the ATF. last time I took an RPG to an indoor range, they got upset. <laughs> oh yeah, man. But it, it was tough getting that for my mom to get over that. Cause I'm like, mom, it's not normally like this. You can go to a range and you're not going to get your head blown off by just peeking to the right, you know, but uh, it was tough to get her over that, you know, as a first time shooter, but like that was, that was the situation. And like, you know, I haven't taken her back since, but I, I get the feeling the next range I do get to take her to with her not having that same experience will make it much more calming and easy for her after that. You know, and, you, like, know you can be like, Hey man, do you mind? Like that's, you know, I don't know if you realize, but you're, this is the first time shooter and you, you know, and I'm not saying you should have done anything. I don't know. It was like in the moment, you don't think about stuff and like, like, yeah, I have no problem. Like saying this. I used to get mad at when people didn't put, I, well, people don't put their weights in the way in the gym assertively, but respectfully confront them. The problem is I'm all like, ah, you know, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> you're like, you don't put your, then, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the gills. Um, and, and like, if you don't put your shopping cart away, ostracism or just politely like i used to call people out all the time when they throw their cigarette on their car once in a while if i'm carrying i'll think twice about it if i think it's gonna you know might end up in a bad situation like an argument or something because like i don't want to escalate anything like motherfucker you know don't put your cigarette on the ground what are you doing put in your fucking pocket i said that once to this like 
gangbanger. He's like, put it in my pocket, fool. What do you, what do you, like, I'm like, well, what do you fucking put it somewhere? I don't know. That's what we do in the military. Like, don't, you know, but we woke up every morning and fucking shoulder to shoulder, touching grown ass men, touching shoulder to shoulder, walking through the grass outside our barracks. Oh, here's one. Oh, here's one. And so we would get pissed at each other. But hey, pick that fucking cigarette butt up. It's tangent, but like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's okay to, to assertively but politely talk to people because most of the time they don't know. You know, the second time I ever did that, I was in Burbank and it's this uh, road called Forest Lawn. It goes past this famous Hollywood cemetery. It's by Warner Brothers. We had a stop sign and this dude kind of threw a cigarette butt out. I, I rolled down my window in my truck. You know, I look like me. And I'm like, hey, man, I think you dropped something. That's how I usually say it. I give them the benefit of the doubt and allow them to be like, oh, my, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I dropped it. And it was a sick dude had a turban on and shit. He's like, he, he looked at his hand. He's like, Oh, Oh, thank you. And he, he like put his flashes on and got out and picked it up. I was like, Hey, thanks, man. Like he was genuinely like happy. I don't think he realized <laughs> he tossed it out the window or if he did, he covered it really well. And either way, like, you know, no forest fires, no fucking pollution. So, you know, it is interesting. The idea of giving people the benefit of the doubt for something like uh, as simple as littering, it is important to remember that there are sometimes people really do just drop shit. Um, not just know. that. So not just that, but you're giving them the opportunity to like not be a piece of shit. You know, if you're like, "Hey, you piece of shit," well, then their defenses are going to be up. Or if mm-hmm. you're like, "Hey, I think you you dropped something over there," like, "Oh shit, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm in public. I feel a little embarrassed now." But this dude allowed the opportunity for me not to be a piece of shit. So, hey, thanks. You know, I didn't. Yeah, you know. And so that's just another reason, like. I, conflict which is you know what we're going to get into here shortly we should we should move on shortly here but like i think that's a good approach for me at least but also like i'm a big scary looking dude i usually walk around at like 225 i got a big beard i'm in not the best shape right now but you know i'm fairly muscular and i got big boots that clomp all the time and shit and so i've learned i have to be overly nice or overly um i gotta take it a step back when i talk to people otherwise i'll start the fuck out of them you know, or they're assuming I'm going to be this like angry asshole when I'm like, Hey, how's it going? You know, whatever, like it really disarms people. And so I think I tried to apply that to like, Hey, fucker, <laughs> you know, no litters, <laughs> you know? Well, um, you know, you are making a good point though, that we really do need to pivot because there are some rather, I'd say pressing geopolitical events that have occurred right now that I think, I think two mainly we should touch on. Oh, most you know ones I'm thinking. Um, I was just thinking about Ukraine and Canada, but you know, it might be ah, no, some... it's exactly what I'm thinking of. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, we could start with, well, it's, it's an interesting question. Cause like Ukraine is probably the single most important one occurring right now, even if it is further away from us. Um, and you know, we say further, but we don't really know, you know, just how close things are. You know, you always forget that, like, I know people in Ukraine, you know, I yep. forget. And, you know, I, last night, like around 1am or so, I was talking to a friend in Odessa um, and he was explaining about some of the uh, strikes that had happened, like fairly close that he could see from his bedroom window, you know, and, you know, Something also people here don't know about and hopefully will never know. About. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this stuff can be a lot closer to us than we think. I mean, we always, and, we think we're safe and we think places are safe and that history is sticky. And then what was is what will always be. Um, but you never really know at any moment what's going to happen. And, you know, he said that there are people rushing to the gas station to stock up. Um, people were worried about, um, you know, filling up on like water and food or crossing the border. He said the borders are all closed. 
uh, you couldn't leave um, on the west side, which is where like Poland and um, Moldova and Bulgaria are. You, you couldn't leave in that direction. Obviously, you can't go to Russia or Belarus. Poland's going to crack down. It was already shut down. Um, it was shut down like within like probably 30 minutes to an hour after the attack happened. And then there's the other half too. Like, why would Ukraine let people leave? Um, you know, well, here, they're... I, I want to interrupt. Let's let's touch on it because I think we're going to spend more time talking about Ukraine. I think we could get our thoughts, and especially since, since the removal of emergency powers after he went all dictatorial. Um, let's let's touch on um, Canada for 10 to 15 minutes and then just dive in and use the rest of our time if you're cool with that. Uh, that's fine, as long as it's short, because I, I don't really have as many comments about Canada. Uh, right. I, I don't either. I think we could get like get 10 minutes in, but I think it's important to talk about because I almost think it's equally important to what's going on there. And I can I can make that argument. Well, um, uh, start. Let's uh, let's hear what you what parts of it you think are important and we'll rip from there. OK, so like. For a while, I was like, and I'm going to use some harsh language. I, I have uh, quite a few Canadian friends, but I think a lot of people are cucked. And by that, like, so we're going to get a little graphic here. Sorry, mom. But the term cuck, I really like it in a political term because it's very descriptive. But it Me comes too. from, like, pornography, right? And it's generally, like, dudes who like watching their wives or girlfriends get banged by giant black dudes. And the reason it's black dudes is because they typically stereotypically have huge wieners right and I've, I've seen flirts and it's you know impressive so you know i can i can back it up um it's weird because we've never actually met in person so the fact that i've seen it is just you know shows the levels of our friendship dick um, are like handshakes to men I, women just don't understand that yet yeah, you know, all sorts of shapes and you know little hey look it's a top hat i'm sorry exactly. um, this is how we say hi where i'm from the hey look it's a top hat comes from this like Australian penis puppetry show. I didn't actually see it. Just remember, I mean, again, I'll let you all wonder. (laughs) So, like, Canada was pretty cucked for a while, and it it was really bothering me. And then Trudeau, like, and Trudeau, I remember seeing this video where, like, I thought it was a farce, or I thought it was something from Saturday Night Live or whatever Canadian version they have, where he like walks up and he goes, like, with his hair, he goes. Justin Trudeau is Canada because Canada is Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau is, I, I didn't think it was a real video and I found out it was. So that guy is crazy, right? But these people were just fine with all these lockdowns and fine. And they went hard, not as hard as Australia, but they went real hard. And, you know, I'm glad I discovered Viva Frey before this stuff happened or maybe during it, I think during it. Um, definitely check out Viva Frey, a lawyer in Canada, uh, very, very into liberty. Anyways, so I was really concerned, but it was finally the straw that broke the camel's back. It was these truckers, these blue collar workers. And I don't think people understand how expensive these get like eight, five to eight miles a gallon, six miles a gallon, right? These giant ass trucks, they have to fucking pay for that fuel, you know? And so they're like, no, no, let's, let's not do it. And Canada isn't like the United States where they don't have protected free speech. Like their constitution isn't the same thing as what it is here. We're so fortunate, so lucky. And even though it's starting to fall apart here, I do believe that document has kept the most powerful country in the world from going complete crazy. Even with all of our problems, the, the rules we established from the start allowed us to last at least this long, right? So in Canada, they're like, I think it wasn't even, a, it's not about COVID and it's not about, you know, safety and everything. It's about, I told you what to do and now you're not doing it. You do what I tell you. 
Like, you know, Trudeau doesn't look at people like people, like peasants. He is better than them. He's lived this extremely privileged life. And he looks like, having not met the guy, having read enough about him and watched his speech and watched his videos, listening to people interacting with them and using my own, you know, discerning, you know, critical thinking skills. Yeah, the guy seems like a pompous, you know, arrogant prick. And, um, and by, yeah, uh, whatever. And so these people are like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And it was so, like, they had the Black Lives Matter protests in Canada, and it wasn't as bad as in the United States, but they still burned building down, buildings down. They didn't freeze their assets. They didn't take their vehicles. They didn't do any of that shit. We're here, they're, like, pulling people out of fucking vehicles. They're arresting people that are peacefully, pro like, you can't get more peaceful protests than Canadian peaceful protests, right? Bouncy houses for kids, right? And they threaten their fucking children, right? All because what? Now, let's talk honestly about these shots for a minute. They're not vaccines. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of shots that you can take that can help you that aren't vaccines. But these aren't. These are prophylactic treatments that, um, for the people that they didn't fuck up, uh, helped reduce symptoms of the earlier strains and do nothing for now. So they want to force medical procedures on these people. And these people are like, no. Well, they went hardcore. And I think they overcorrected. I think it was a good thing. Because now Trudeau just backed off on some of this stuff. But the amount of people that supported it blows my mind so they went into ottawa and all the like oh no the honking's too much yet these people supported black lives matter you know what i mean and um i was going somewhere with this the amount of democrats so the moderates and conservatives this is a big catch-all term now um moderates and right-leaning people do not support trudeau a large number of democrats that were pulled in the united states supported freezing the assets taking money from a single mother who works at a restaurant because she donated $50 to the trucker convoy before they made it illegal. They made it illegal to donate them. The chief of Cuckville fucking Ottawa police, by the way, um, says, we're going to hunt you down if you had anything to do with this for months on end. We're going to continue to do these investigations and make your life miserable. I'm paraphrasing. Holy fucking authoritarian, right? And now we're starting our convoys here. Um, I think it was really important to put the government in check and to let those people know that they have power, but also give them a wake up call because they just had a, a couple of years ago, Trudeau just banned a bunch of guns. And it's not guns, folks. It's arms. It's arms. Having the ability to have arms means you can't tell me what to do, which means if you want me to do something, you either have to be nice or have to be right and correct and have the right information. And that's just why I think that was super important. What was happening is right across our border. Their culture is much more similar to ours than Eastern Bloc cultures. Um, I think we need to start putting people in their place. We need to start like this mask stuff. I go most places without a mask. It is kind of uncomfortable, but I'm just, I say no. And like, if I have time, I'll have a conversation. The other day I called somebody at a CVS week, this kid, because he, he admitted that it doesn't do anything. He admitted that like, he thinks it's, you know, everybody got to follow the rules. Like, you're weak, man. You're weak. And he went like this. And I left. I didn't give them my business, you know? Um, but yes, yeah, so I guess um, without having caffeine, um, without going too crazy, that those are my thoughts. Is, was that clear? Or do you have any questions? Or what, what are your thoughts on the situation? Uh, I mean, it's fairly clear. And, um, you know, a, a, I think two episodes ago, you had said I was like fairly blackpilled about certain things because I had this opinion about New York, for instance. Um, you know, um, I'd say I have less opinions about Canadian politics in general that are like significantly divergent from my opinions about U.S. politics. 
Um, you know, the one thing in Canada is like, there's a, I think their rural urban divide is even larger than ours. Um, Cause I mean, the one thing that I think people know but they don't know about Canada is like Canada has a few big cities that are basically on or near the US border um, with the exception of maybe Edmonton. But I don't know if Edmonton's really considered a big city or not. And it's separated by like 5,000 miles of mostly rural areas. Um, like uninhabited the areas. I wouldn't say uninhabited, but like, well, the further north you go, the more yeah, no, that's what I meant. Yeah. But um, I'm specifically talking about just the spaces between. That In are between on the, the cities, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like within like 500 miles of the border. Like a lot of that area is still very rural. And, you know, Canada is hyper dependent on truckers um, hyper-dependent on the natural resources that are in these rural areas. And I don't think they realize that yet. It's a larger problem in the world in that um, over the last, I'd say, 30 or 40 years, we've come, uh, we have these beliefs about what's important and what's not. And we have priced society based around these beliefs. And that is significantly changing in the moment. Like the truckers have a lot more power than I think they even realize. Um, you know, they went and they showed up and they, you know, they blockaded a, a bunch of the major cities. They blockaded Toronto. Um, they were in several other uh, capitals of the provinces as well. Um, I believe what, they still left like one lane of traffic open every time is from what I understand. Like, they still allow people, it's just more restrictive, that's all. Oh uh, Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, definitely possible. Um, but not really the point, because I think the right. point is like, if the truckers just decided that they were just going to go on strike and stop working like the country would be brought to its knees. Like this is one of the single most important industries in their country. And, you know, when you, when you rule any specific place, there are certain people you have to appease more than others. And I, I think Canada as a country has not realized which groups are actually important and which ones aren't. Um, and there's this administrative class that just kind of sits on Zoom and uh, tells people what to do and assumes they can order people around and that everything that they want is always going to be at their fingertips. And then they're the people who are going to have electricity working. when they turn the switch on. Yeah, exactly. Um, or they can keep their fridge empty because uh, Uber Eats is right around the corner. Um, Living in LA, dude. That, yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of the city mentality. You know, there is this disconnection from everything. And I, I won't pretend that I'm above it. Like I live here in the middle of a big city. Um, I use Uber Eats sometimes, you know, um, sometimes my fridge doesn't have a lot of food in it. I mean, I, I have a lot of food, dry food um, in the closet for several months in case things happen. But, you know, there, there's, there's times when I'm not up on the groceries that, you know, I don't go and like have my own chickens. Like I have windows here. I could be having like plants growing here, but I leave so often that it's a quail. If you have windows, you could have quail. Quail. Exactly. I, I can most certainly have things here and I don't. So I'm definitely a part of this problem in a, a number of different ways. Um, but, you know, we're going to be seeing lots of types of labor, lots of types of things that have previously been cheap be repriced significantly. Uh, I think what Canada is doing is kind of just the beginning of this. It's not like, you know, whether they end this, uh, this protest or not, whether they crack down or not, like this is going to happen. Um, these things are going to become a lot more expensive for them. Um, certain types of jobs are just going to be completely useless. I mean, people think this whole working from home thing worked in the favor of people who work in these offices. Uh, the truth is maybe 10 to 15% of people in any given office are actually doing a large chunk of the work. 
And, you know, what, what's that law called? Because I, I talk about this all the time. That's why corporations don't like giant corporations can't really exist because they're too inefficient because of this problem. Mm-hmm. You know the name of it, right? Uh, I did. And I, I mentioned it last episode, but I, it's, it's that's not right. in my brain at all right now. Um, but it's basically a form of the power law or it's a Pareto principle is one, one, for, one form of it, where it's like the square root of anything is responsible for the majority, blah, 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 basically 2080. Um, but you know, it's true in the corporate world as well. There's a lot of just dead weight there. And like, there's a lot of people who are part of this administrative class and they don't realize that they're actually not part of the productive side of it either. And this move to zoom and this move to like, you know, you can work wherever, uh, it just means that like, you're going to get replaced by some dude in Scandinavia or someone in Korea or, you know, people in India, they're going to pick up and, you know, if your job is useless, they can pay someone over there like fucking $10 an hour to do what, you know, you get paid 50 or 60 K a year to do here. Or a, um, bot, or a bot to write articles about Brad Pitt's butt or whatever, you know, like how many of those people that live in New York, you know, apartments that all they do is like write weird Buzzfeed episode or articles and make like. Uh, here's something most people don't realize. Um, bots have already replaced a lot of journalism already. Um, a lot of what people do now is they have a bot that pre-writes the article for you based on like what information it pulls from sources, aggregators. And all you do is you just look over it and you change the parts that don't make sense and just, uh, you know, write in the part that, you know, does make sense. How long until that AI gets smart enough to not need you? Not, not very long at all. Um, and you know, this is the problem in journalism in general is that there's this huge loss of context because like they have the bot write the story for them and they don't know the context. And so they just change it so it makes sense. But the story contextually to people who are actually in whatever it is they've talked about still makes zero sense whatsoever. Um, it's, it's, I'll let you go because this is back to, back, back to Canada. Back to Canada, in your thoughts. Um, so I, I kind of feel the same way um, in the United States too. And just to, what I think would fix everything, well, a lot of things in the United States is if the states had the electoral college. Because I keep seeing these urban centers get, get all uppity. And there's cool things to learn in the city, but like the rural areas, like if you look at the, the 2016 presidential election, map, it doesn't matter who it was, folks, um, other than the fact that it was a non-establishment person versus an establishment person. Unlike the Barack Obama-Romney election, which were they have the same dude, same fucking voting records, like same policies for the mm-hmm. most part, right? Same dude. This one was different. And whatever you don't like, whoever, it doesn't matter. You have clearly not establishment, not like whatever, and the most establishment person. And if you look at by county, the entire fucking country was red, right? Red. If you look at it by state, it was, you know, kind of 50-50. Well, all the little blue spotches were these urban centers where you can Uber eat a fucking hot pocket to your front door. You know what I mean? Like, and all that shit is wonderful, but it can fall apart like that. And so I keep hearing, well, you know, majority should rule everything. And, well, or, um, you know, my vote, that's what I hear. Yeah, I, just because I'm in a city, my vote shouldn't count as somebody in rural Montana. It's like, well, yeah, I understand that, but you keep voting against their best interests. And those people grow your fucking food. Those people drill for your oil that you drive or that you get your Uber Eats delivered with. They mine the fucking lithium that you put in your fucking batteries for your iPhone and your goddamn, you know, Prius, you know? So like you, you you're voting against the best interests of the people that produce everything you need to be alive. And you don't know how to do any of that shit. So I think an electoral college in the states would fix a lot of things. I really, really do. And the same thing in, in Canada. Um, and it I think would be, 
right? So sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, finish your thought. No, 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 but no, that I was I was done. I was trying to figure out how to transition okay. with my not caffeine laden brain. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to say the least. Um, because yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the I'd say the median products between finished products and not, and a lot of the inputs for just any sort of productivity comes from rural areas in general. And you look at Illinois. It, Chicago fucking rules Illinois, just that city. Mm -hmm. New York City rules New York State. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the way it is when you go to these places. And I was having a conversation recently with a friend about Oklahoma City, because I used to go there for work a lot. And, you know, the entire state, it really feels like it's just Oklahoma City and then all of the areas around it that are almost rural, except for like Tulsa is like the only other big kind of metro over there. And, you know, the only difference is Oklahoma City is like a red city. It's probably one of the few red cities. And even then, if you go to Oklahoma City, you still find pockets of like blue, blue, blue ideology in there. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if it found a way to flip blue too as a city. But, um, you know, going back to this like cultural divide that exists, um, it's probably the most significant problem that we have here in the U.S. is there is this large detachment from reality that does not feel as if it's something that can be repaired in any way, shape or form. Um, there's a lot of people that you talk to and like, it's just, they're so far separated from whatever it is you're experiencing in your day-to-day -day life that you can't even communicate effectively anymore. Is it, is uh, like, it like literal, what is it? Blue dress, white dress? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the that same whole, thing the you do on Twitter. But then seeing something completely different or, I, I think it's a little more nefarious than that. I think it's a little more lazy and I think it's a little more cultish almost. And, and I, I hate to say that because there are people that I love that kind of fall into this a little bit, but it's, I also don't want to, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want, I think it's like a, like we were talking earlier about litter bugs and I try to say like, Hey man, I think you dropped something. But there are other people that'd be like, you fucking scum, pick that up right now. If they could, and they feel good doing that. Mm-hmm doing that i felt that temptation i was a leader in the military there's a few times where i was like all right come here private blah 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 i'm like uh even though other people do that maybe i don't want to do that you know and so i stopped doing that you know because the power man power is it's you know absolutely man it absolutely is um and you know that is a, another important difference that i often see is like there are people who would prefer to be wrong and they, you know, they start with that foot first, um, just when it comes to judging really anything in general. Um, and there are people who can't even conceive of the possibility of being wrong, and they start from that foot. And, you know, the first group of people who would prefer to be wrong, I find myself easily able to talk to, communicate with, and share time and generally enjoy the presence of. And there's the people who can't conceive of that possibility, who I find myself more and more unable to even just have like basic social connections with these people because it almost becomes uncomfortable because you're like i have a couple of friends that i'm so close with but they're so close with but because of like distance and in, in just careers and the stages of our lives we are we haven't stayed in as much touch and now it's like i'm almost nervous to talk about anything oh you're going to be a, a like i i never even identified as right wing girl now apparently people think i am you know I, because liberty, I don't know. But so like, it's, to me, it makes, or like, even when I'm confronted, like I'm fairly confident when I'm confronted in a grocery store about the mask thing or something, like, where am I going to get groceries? You know, it's, it makes me feel like the fact that I have to like, that people are upset with me because they're ignorant, you know, because they don't understand what's going on. And, and there's the two types, the people that are afraid 
that are ignorant or the people that are abusive. And to it's not about being wrong. They want to have that power over you. It's like this is the first adversity they have, and now they have like a pecking order, and now they can tell people what to do. And so they, they like it. But back, back to what I was saying, like you, you, you have a hard time talking to some of these people. Like, did you get that same thing too? Where it's almost like for friends, it almost makes me gives me a little anxiety. What what can I say? And what can't I say? Because it was weird when like I started talking to like film after things started getting woke about five years ago. Like it really started getting in here five, six years ago, and somebody would be like, hey, I'm a conservative. Everybody in the room would be like, oh, cool, we can talk to you, which was weird and not the stereotype growing up, you know? Yeah, and obviously my experience is very different in, uh, you know, I'm a blue city in Texas, whereas you're a blue city in a blue state, you know? So, you know, here, um, the people who are conservative have a different view of themselves. Like, it's less about, you know, oh, I got to hold this in, but it's more about it's, people are almost kind of combative and they're trying to, you know. Well, I think my industry too, though. Yeah. It's even crazier. Definitely. I mean, I guess I could, I could connect too. Cause like the last industry I was in was very blue. Um, oh like, yeah. You told me. <laughs> exceedingly blue. Like I, I, I had to watch someone get into an argument at, in the, the lunchroom one day. Um, Cause he was trying to just say that, you know, socialism might not be the best thing in the world. <laughs> everybody ganged up on him it was horrible and I'm just sitting there and like obviously I don't want to join it like I'm not interested um but you know that whole not interest in being honest with my coworkers is something that I've suddenly found myself having to do around people that I thought were my friends because um the, the relationships I have with people who are in my life as friends I want to be 100% honest about everything that's just how I feel and you know I can get into why in like a different episode if we ever talk about like ayahuasca or anything like that um but in general I don't like lying even small white lies they just they don't sit well with me and you know if you're going to be my friend you're going to get the truth and if you don't get the truth it's because you're not my friend you're an acquaintance you know I I don't don't really care too much about like telling acquaintances what I think about things or feel about things because they just aren't important people to me in my mind and I've found my friends over the past few years have been putting themselves into a place where they're not important people to me because I can't speak honestly with them um, just about anything and be, have them treat me in the way that I treat them when they talk to me. And that's been the weird experience for me because, you know, yeah. people, my social group has changed like drastically in the last two years um, in ways that I wasn't anticipating. And Which is why I'm so grateful for these, these Draken guys, the Draken bros, you know, like you can say anything you want in front of them and they'll, they'll tell you if you're stupid, <laughs> like, uh, you know, but like, they, they're, they're still like empathetic and cool. And like, I'm so grateful for that, but you're right. Half the, most of the Hollywood people I used to hang out with don't hear from me anymore. I don't like, you know, and they don't really hear from me either. You know, it's, I understand. Yeah. And that's the irreparable social damage that I see happening both here and in Canada. Um, it's having families too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I say it's a rural urban divide because, you know, that's the starkest way in which it presents itself, but it's, it's much more than that. And, you know, this divide as it's presenting itself becomes further and further irreparable. And, you know, we end up kind of cloistering ourselves and only talking with people that, you know, are on the same wavelength as us in the same way that like, you know, five or six years ago, you might've had friends from like a bunch of different political parties. And it was just, it was what it was. And now I find that all of those friends are making themselves not my friend. And suddenly, you know, a lot of the people that I find myself relating to more are, I wouldn't want to say they're Republicans because they're not, 
they're just not Democrats, I guess, is the, the best way to say it. Um, well, and- because you and I are still, I bet, like, we don't, well, one, I don't really want to identify with any political party for the most part, but, like, we grew up with neocons saying that they were. Yeah, exactly. There's this, like, real, and there's still a shit ton in there, and fucking Mitt Romney is still one of them. Right? Know? Like, like 90% of them are complete trash, and it's probably higher no, than less that. now. Less now. No, and we're also thinking of people on the national level, like, well, Dan Crenshaw, man, that... That guy's a fucking guy. Well, um, I mean, uh, look, less, like, less than ninety percent. I think. I think Trump, that bull in the china shop. There's a lot of real, Tony Cowden. I don't know if you follow him. There's a lot of young blood in the Republican Party that literally wants liberty. Like, yeah, I, I, I still don't think they're larger than ten percent, though. Like, you, you think about how many representatives there are, even at the, you know, the national you're level. Probably right. I'm probably like have a what is it optimism bias or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, like there's a lot of people in the Republican Party who are just neither here nor there, and they're just kind of doing what keeps them in place. And, you know, we don't see them as much. And then there's kind of like the big figureheads of just absolute shit show like Mitt Romney, um, who's like, oh, I might switch to the Democrat Party now that Trump's in office. And it's like, bro, what, what does that even have to do with shit, man? Uh, you know, you're just doing what's popular because you realize your state's turning blue. That's that's really it. You know, the kind of person, mm, excuse me. So the kind of person who could switch parties just because their state was turning to a different party is <laughs> like well, it says, that's what happened. That's what happened. The racist became the non-racist and the non-racist became the racist. Don't you remember? Yeah, the parties yeah, flipped. Of course. The parties flipped. Totally. Uh, and um, you know, it's it's interesting because like a lot of Democrats now will be totally in support of war everywhere. And you know, if I were to say to them, like, well, the parties have flipped, you guys are the neocons now, they'd be like, that's impossible. Parties never switch. <laughs> It's like, but you guys are taking y'all are taking. Well, they, they were never really anti-war, though. Yeah, was ever. They, they just said that during Bush, who was probably I saw this meme where he was the fifth first president. I'm really curious where Biden's going to fall in there. I'm really curious. Um, I would like you to to carry this show on your back for the next five minutes and let me know if you can hear me peeing. I was thinking about peeing in a bottle, but I'm just going to go. I'm gonna go over yeah, there real quick. So, we'll go, go to the bathroom, man. Um, and we can, uh, and then we got it. We got to talk about Russia, Ukraine. Yeah, this. well, we'll pivot to Russia, Ukraine in a little bit. Then, all right. Well, for everyone who is tuned in to the uh, Flirt Cheap Show, where you're going to hear just me, um, this is interesting. I'm not quite sure what I want to talk about. I mean, uh, we could pivot back to crypto or pivot back to tribes, because um, you know we're talking about this distension in the social order where you know the people that you think you know maybe aren't the people you think you know the people that you thought you knew maybe aren't the people that you thought you knew and i think now is probably one of the best times for people to like take a look at your social network take a look at the people you know maybe reach out to people you haven't spoken to in a while um see how they're doing see what they're up to now is a time of uh, i'd say a lot of change there's a lot of things are being destroyed but a lot of things are being created as well you know how many friends do you have who might want to start their own business might want to do their own thing by trying to break off and uh, become more independent. Um, you could make some good connections right now and discover a whole new world that's out for you. So even if I talk about things like, oh, being bleak, uh, lost this friend, that social group, I've gained so many friends as well in this time. Um, you know, it's a time where you can be just as hopeful as you can be uh, black-pilled or uh, uh, bleak and depressed. Um, you know, it's, it's a nice time to be alive. And you know, most people 
they wish for stability when things are instable. But whenever things are stable, they're always like, man, I wish there's something more exciting to do. The years are just passing by, you know. Uh, you know, just yesterday it was 2005. Now it's 2015. You know, you'd hear people say that because like nothing was going on in their lives. And I'm not saying that geopolitical issues are things going on in your life. But I am saying that, you know, when these tensions are up, there's a bunch of opportunity for you to do new and interesting things and be part of new things and to, you know, live in rapid growth. Um, there is a good quote from either Lenin or Stalin. I don't remember who said it, um, but they said sometimes there are uh, decades where only weeks of history happen. And sometimes there are weeks where decades of history happen. Um, and, you know, we now live in interesting times. Uh, I'd say we have lived in interesting times since uh, uh, September 2019, uh, which you would know if you follow my Substack or if you were on my Instagram in October of 2019. Um, but, uh, you know, this is going to be an interesting decade. Like people who are wishing for stability to come back, it's not going to come back. Um, the only way out is through. Um, or as in the movie, as above, so below, the only way up is down. Um, you've got to lean into this and really try and make the most of it and live your best life during this. And eventually you'll get to the other side where things are stable again, but you won't get there by appeasing people who are asking for your time uh, or trying to make things easier for people who are getting in your way. Um, the only way out is through. But anyways, Paul is back now. Um, and so uh, I feel like it's probably a decent time for us to pivot to Ukraine, Paul, unless you've got any final comments on Canada. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool, cool. Well, um, so when I first started talking, I was mentioning I have a friend in Odessa who's talking about some of the things that were occurring, um, you know, outside of his window that he could see. Uh, he was woken up by explosions at five in the morning, uh, his time. Uh, he heard two explosions. Apparently they attacked some sort of missile defense uh, system that was in Odessa. And for those who are geographically challenged, Odessa is on the south side of Ukraine. It borders the Black Sea, um, and it is to the west of Crimea. And Crimea is a peninsula that uh, Russia had uh, annexed from Ukraine in 2014, and Russia currently occupies, um, and from which Russia had launched part of their invasion of Ukraine, which happened. Um, so for those of y'all who need a background about what happened, uh, today is the 24th of February. Uh, yesterday and okay, um, yeah, it was today. No, I was like, you're you're a night owl. I work nights often, so like I was just watching it all unfold, you know. Yeah, and today, okay, so yesterday was today in Ukrainian time because they're ahead of us by like um, quite a few hours, I think. I don't remember exactly, um, like eight or nine. Um, so really, I mean, today is still the first day of the invasion, but over there in Russia and Ukraine, it's, it's another day now, but over here, it's still the past day. But um, Russia invaded. Um, there was two contested territories called Donetsk and Luhansk. I'm probably mispronouncing them horribly, um, where Russian like uh, separatists had been in there wanting to make that a part of Russia. Uh, Putin announced that he was acknowledging their existence as independent from Ukraine a few days ago. Sent in peacekeepers like the west does all the time yeah yeah exactly um you know it's very reminiscent of how we treated syria in a lot of different ways uh, except we're on the other foot now um but yeah he went in um to you know establish order there um and for the most part was welcomed by the militia and the forces that were already in there um because they've already destabilized a good bit of those provinces 
Uh, but beyond that, um, Putin's forces also came from Belarus into northern Ukraine. Um, they went further than those far eastern territories. So they went to Kiev, uh, Lviv, um, Mariostopol. I'm horribly mispronouncing all of these. And Odessa, like you're doing pretty decent. You're doing pretty um, decent. And they also uh, captured some some areas along the Dnieper River, which is the river that kind of goes south through Ukraine, kind of cutting right through the middle of it. Which um, which a lot of people thought would only take that section like this this is beyond what i don't know where i was thinking on this this what it's weird because it kind of wasn't surprising to me but like most people were like this is way more than like and it, it looks intense too it looks yeah, intense, but, you know watching shock and awe and then going to iraq though it still wasn't shock and awe it still was like i i flipped the fuck out when we were watching the shock and awe shock shock and awe campaign in iraq where they're just blowing up all this crazy shit yeah, yeah, they were doing that in Russia, but it didn't seem it seemed more surgical from Russia. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Um, and, you know, we still don't really have any ideas about how many casualties have been involved. I mean, I feel bad for the people who might have been manning, like, a missile defense or air defense yeah, battery. Yeah, they're pawns. And it's, it's, it's weird because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they smoked people. They killed people. Maybe people that would be like, okay, if Russia's going to treat us better than these oligarchs, which there are Russian oligarchs, Ukraine's so corrupt. Yeah, Ukraine definitely. so corrupt, you know? But, like, it's just... It sucks that these people have to die in part of this, even if like, let's say they take, let's say they take over all of Crimea, but like it works, you know what I mean? And they become, I don't want to get ahead of myself because you were on a pretty good rant, but it's just so unfortunate life. And a lot of this has to do with NATO fucking policies and U.S. policy and Wilson foreign policies. A lot of this does. Yeah, it does. And, you know, if I had to guess about on the ground, um, I would imagine it's probably worse for citizens in Ukraine to have Russia come in than to have the existing government stay in place, you know, despite it being corrupt. Well, for, for now, yeah. For well, now. I mean, it, it sounds like people are actually like getting businesses started there. Um, like my friend in Odessa runs a business that he started there and it's it's been doing well, it's been thriving. Um, uh, obviously up until, you know, what happened recently, uh, his expectation was to be able to grow and thrive in Ukraine. Um, and he's lived all over. Um, went to school in Canada and the U.S. as well as in Europe. Um, so, you know, he had plenty of choices as far as where to live. It's not like he's uh, stuck in Ukraine. He has a- Tim Pool. Tim Pool talks all the time about how he's trying to think about getting an apartment in Ukraine, you know, because he's been doing <laughs> journalism a bunch. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be interesting. Uh, yeah, but, you know, there's definitely people with U.S. citizenship there who are living in Ukraine and making it work. And I don't know what would be put in place or who would be taking over businesses? You know, is Putin going to come in and say like, oh, you can keep your business or is he going to come in and like, are Russians going to be taking over business? Are you going to be paying? No, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Well, then again, like, well, shit, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's, they, they, things aren't nationalized like that in Russia. There's private business in Russia. Yeah, of course, of course. But, you know, how do you treat it when you're taking over a place? Like, for instance, you know, when we invaded um, Iraq, Syria, etc., there were a lot of U.S. contractors who came in and started working. Um, You know, I'm sure there was jobs for citizens there. I'm sure there were businesses for citizens in those countries. But, you know, we brought a lot with us that came and worked there. um, there's There's a few differences, though. So, like, the United States is thousands and thousands of miles away from it's a much more massive effort for us to invade than big 
she just walked across the border. Also, they're the same, like they're ethnically, culturally very similar people. Um, there's already things set up there. Like it, it's, I think I, I'm not as worried about Russians taking over private Ukrainian business. I think this is everything, almost everything that uh, Putin said in his speech is true. Is that a justification to kill people and do military actions? No, and I'm not defending it. But Ukraine was kind of a U.S. vassal state. Right? Well, I, I got to interrupt here about Putin's speech, though. Um, it was true, but it was lacking a lot of context. Um, yes, no, so- no, that, that's, that's true, too. No, I'm glad you pointed that out because I don't want to sound like, yes, everything, you know, blah, 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 Alex Jones. No, um, definitely requires a little more context, but just by itself, you know what I mean? A lot of the things, like, you can see the truth. In it. Now, it's all justification for something that, I don't think it's justifiable. Well, I mean, so he, in his speech, he basically only acknowledged history from 1913 on to now. And, you know, like, yeah, in, in that context, like, oh, well, yeah, Ukraine was created by, uh, <laughs> by the Bolsheviks, you know? Um, and, you know, this is a, a specifically Russian grievance that it's why I'm concerned about like, you know, will they allow Ukrainians to maintain their gotcha, and that, that makes economy? sense. Um, Cause like there's this Russian grievance that, you know, kind of like what the, what's happening here in the U S as well. Um, the Bolsheviks wanted to make sure that there wasn't any like specific Russian or Soviet nationalism within like the borders of the USSR. So they took a lot of areas that were like ethnically different or diverse. And they're like, hey, why don't you guys start speaking your own language again? Let's bring that back. Hey, let's emphasize um, your culture. Let's emphasize this, emphasize that. So that when the USSR collapsed, it was much more natural for these areas. Like, hey, let's become our own country. We're already our own satellite state that's, you know, significantly different from Russia in a lot of different ways. We have our own history. Um, let's become our own country. And when viewed from the Russian lens, it's like you guys only exist because of the Bolsheviks. When in, in truth, like Ukraine has been around for you know over a thousand years. You know, there's been settlements there. The language it was there longer than Moscow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that was the capital of Kievan Rus. That's why it was called Kievan Rus in the 1400s because that was the capital of Russia. Um, that's where those people. I won't say those people. That's because there's a lot of culture and like worst part is like a lot of my history comes from video games too and i don't want to like out myself and like well in medieval two total war because that's bullshit no, but do um, it do but, it i mean here's the thing if the if the references you're making are accurate are you being honest and saying that you're exposing people to say hey there is shit you know how many fucking gun people follow me because they started out playing counter-strike and shit absolutely man and they absolutely. later learn the other thing too is then it encourages these motherfuckers to make more realistic and accurate video games and movies. Mm-hmm. You know? So like, yeah, I mean, if there's a reference, you know, this might sound silly, but I was playing Age of Empire and this happened. It's a solid reference. Make it, man. Yeah, no, I, that's not the, the the reference I want to make, but it's what my brain right. is going back to in the moment. You know, because uh, you know the the Muscovites, uh, Moscow was kind of like this backwater like tribal village for and. This is going to insult people, me saying this. And, you know, eventually from Kiev and Rus, they expanded and started building upon it. But, um, you know, Kiev, uh, the area that's called Ukraine, um, it's it's far older than, you know, Putin allows in his speech. And, you know, there's a lot of tricks in language that are also played, um, like the name Ukraine, um, it... It's not even like the original, like the original name was a, a French word that I, I don't remember. It was like of, of Kraton or something like that. Um, it, I don't remember what it meant either. I'm terrible like this. Um, 
but you know, at some point it was renamed to Ukraine just because that was what was convenient for the Russians to say. Um, and they turned it to mean something different than it actually meant. You know, it, like they, they make it mean like backwater or backcountry or like, um, uh, like it's, it's like what you would call your backyard uh, contextually. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of these linguistic tricks that are being played and, you know, it can make it seem a certain way. And I definitely want to make sure that we're not giving the impression that, you know, um, what Putin was saying is correct. I mean, yeah. Well, it's not that we support him or anything. It's just, it's correct and incorrect in the same time. Um, but, you know, the one thing I think that's happening on the right is that, like, this is, at the very least, it's competent leadership. Whether it's evil or not, it's at least competent. And it's something that we don't really ever see very often here in America or the U.S. Because, you know, like last night when this was all going on, Biden was probably asleep. I don't think he was actually there doing anything. Um, you know, if it was Trump or Obama, they probably would have given a press conference. You would have seen them on video addressing the nation. Uh, Biden, we got a PR tweet and then like a few stories telling us what Biden prayers. Uh, yeah, they were like, oh, Biden's on the phone with Zelensky. Uh, like, says who? <laughs> says who? This is just your fucking story? Like, I don't believe it. It was 11 o'clock at night. Dude was probably well, fast asleep. And, that, and that's a huge problem because I have a friend that I used to work with and we stay in touch conversations in person are, are way better but we, we talk over social media and he leans left i lean libertarian or whatever okay lean right i guess i don't know it feels weird saying that but like i mentioned part of this is you know weak leadership and you're like wait wait what do you mean in the u.s i'm like yeah, dude, but i don't know how anybody <laughs> can watch any speech and this isn't trying to be insulting to lefties or righties or anybody like i, I you guys heard how we really are discussing with the Republican Party. Um, you know, uh, I just don't understand how anyone can watch like two speeches he's given in the last like two years even and be like this guy that has a hard time staying awake and finishing sentences is a strong leader. You know, I don't know. I don't like, like the rumors about like the flatulence and the pooping themselves. And so, you know, you could like, oh, oh, oh well, you know, Trump had like hookers pee on a, him on a bed. Or, yeah, but none of that ever happened. And that was the only story. Multiple trusted accounts are like, this dude's pooping himself. You know, like, I just, I don't know how anyone can look at Biden. It, the Australian media is laughing at him, laughing out loud. The British media and the foreign media is literally laughing at him and saying, what is wrong? I don't understand how some people can't see it. Yeah, and like France was going behind our back to enter into negotiations with um, Ukraine, with Russia, with Australia as well, which is something that never would have happened. But, um, you know, we are not ourselves, or at least the people we believe ourselves to be. I think we are the opportunity divided with weak leadership. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, the thing about, you know, you, you said you can't understand how someone can listen to him speak and believe he's competent. Like, the truth is, like, the left stopped watching TV as soon as Trump lost. Well, no, the... like, and that's the thing. When I say that, I mean that figuratively. Like, I understand how it happens. Yeah. It's cognitive dissonance and cultish. I just, I don't, I also at the same time don't. Like, how do yeah. you? One thing that bugs me too is like a lot of people will tell me they're informed. They think they're informed, but they, they've watched someone else's opinion of what happened and they haven't watched it themselves. Like they'll tell, they'll, they'll quote like what Newsweek said about a Biden speech but they didn't watch the Biden speech themselves. And so it's like, how can you really trust that you actually have a good opinion on it? Um, you know, just like watch it and listen to it or they'll, they'll watch a video clip of a live stream, but they won't just sit down and give it like an hour of their attention to actually see like what happened during the entire live stream. 
and you know it's I, I think it's part of you know you know earlier we were talking about the people who are afraid to be wrong and the people who are hoping they're wrong um you know someone who's hoping they're wrong will watch the entire speech hoping they're wrong and someone who's afraid that they're wrong will take the first thing that confirms what they believe and they won't look any further um and that's i think that's like the big divide here in, in almost every single western country perfect example as i saw back when i was still participating on facebook when uh, trump was going to give his um the, his very first um uh, state of the union so all these people post well i'm not watching this i prefer just to you know watch watch clips of it later so i'm not like and it was like they're saying i don't want to be warped or manipulated by trump so instead i'm going to filter it through my chosen you know propagandist media alternative i'm like you're saying this stuff you're saying like i'm not going to listen in context to the whole speech he's going to give i'd rather take edited snippets with you know pundits commenting on it it's a choice yeah, it's like a three-year-old telling you he's not going to eat his carrots because he heard from his friend in daycare that they're gross. And it's like, well, if you've never had them, bro, like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> Your opinion's shit. And, like, people don't realize that, like, you know, they, they kind of out themselves. Your kids are like, going to be great, man. Opinion's <laughs> shit. Do push-ups. Yeah, yeah, man. But these people are outing themselves as, like, completely useless to the world when they, like, uh, won't even like actually look and like, have their own opinion. It's like, I, I don't need to hear anything else you have to say about anything, man. Like, I don't want your advice about money or my life because where'd you get it from? A tabloid? <laughs> like, what did you do? <laughs> like, you couldn't even take the, the two seconds to make sure it was true to life. Um, but, you know, if we, if we pivot back to Ukraine and start talking Ukraine, about yeah. you know, what is happening and what is likely going to happen, I'll, I'll admit as well, like, I had no idea that the invasion would be at this level. Um, and, you know, it's interesting watching the West try to react to this because um, they're, they're in an odd place. They need gas from Russia, but they also want to sanction Russia. And they're trying to cut off Russia's ability to use the financial uh, infrastructure. And what's interesting is they just admitted a little while ago that they're going to sanction Russia except in fuel. So Russia can still sell gasoline and natural gas to Europe, but like they're going to have sanctions elsewise. And I don't know if they're going to follow through on like that or if they're going to actually just go all the way and sanction the fuel. But it's 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 kind of a symbol of just how weak we are again in this negotiation because you know most of we you're referring to Western civilization. You're not that's, just that's correct because most of Western yeah most of Western Europe is going through an energy crisis right now. They've watched their energy bills go up four or five six times over, and they're still elevated. And you know most the energy. Of the for people that don't know is the key to everything like was it you i was talking with or who was it how like uh the nordic countries used to be very poor countries until they discovered geo if you have to do geothermal you know and like even still like gas is fucking crazy expensive but that helped them or like just, energy is literally the key to, to everything to, to advance it to ending poverty and everything and um you, you know I, I might be changing the subject so you know call me an asshole and bring it back but one thing i wanted to kind of add to this is like i feel like with russia they're kind of like that kid that had a hard time but is like trying but then instead of like hey come on hey let's figure this out you know they're like no you can't have this you can't do this now no oh you can't do this you can't no no you can't no no instead of like trying to work with them like i love i get along with russians all the time i have a bunch of ukrainian and russian friends great people um that, that i know of and to me, I'm worried about China, and Russia does not want to be allied with China. 
uh, they're allied with China out of necessity. And so I, I think they, you know, what if Russia and the United States got along? You know, how crazy would that be? How awesome would that be? You know, but I'm worried that we're going to do more sanctions. For the last decade, I keep hearing sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. And I was in this one friend I was talking about. He's like, well, I think we should do it sanctions. I'm like, well, two questions. What type of sanctions and how would you enforce them? He's like, well, I'm not an economist. So he's suggesting something that he doesn't, you know, like good dude. And when we talk in person, he, I don't want to say like he comes around to my way of thinking, but like he, I don't think he understands certain things. He's never been in the military or anything. Like, do you know how we enforce sanctions? We capture ships, you know, we, we, we use the threat of violence. And so if somebody calls your bluff, it's like, Hey, flirt, you're not allowed to go to the Piggly Wiggly. All right. They could be like, well, I don't want Paul to kick my ass. So I'm not going to go to the Piggly Wiggly, but then you're like, no, I've got a gun fuck you. I'm going to go to the Piggly Wiggly. So now it's like, how do I keep you from going to the Piggly Wiggly? Right. What am I going to do? Threaten more sanctions and keep threatening, keep threatening. Or am I going to eventually be like, no, man, now we're going to have to fight, you know? So I just, if this keeps happening, they're going to Russia and China are going to lie even more. And that's just going to create like, there's weak leadership all over the West right now. This is not the time to like, put the second two most powerful <laughs> countries together when one of them, when China clearly has a hundred year plan to take over everything. Right. Yeah. And you're absolutely correct when you say that we've been pushing Russia and China together and that, you know, it became the bad guy in all the movies again. And like, it's, it's, very, the media. it's very likely if we weren't trying to cut, if we weren't, you know, always holding this sort of Damocles over Russia's head about, you know, Oh, you know, we're going to cut you off from the SWIFT system, which, um, you know, if we weren't threatening that, there's a chance Russia might not have ever developed the ability to, to act without the SWIFT system, which they already have. Um, so this again, you know, SWIFT, for people who don't know, it's an interbank communication system, which was uh, developed by, um, actually, I, I don't know which country developed it, I can't say. It, currently, it exists in Belgium, that's where they're headquartered. Um, and it's a way for banks to communicate with each other. Um, if a bank doesn't have access to the SWIFT system, it can't communicate with any other bank. It can't make transactions. Um, it's like having a cell phone, but no access to cell phone towers. You know, you're just walking around with a computer in your pocket, but no ability to call, send text, et cetera. Um, it's, and it's, sorry. Yeah, so SWIFT out, operates like that. And um, it's what the world has been using as like the international standard for communication between banks. And for the most part, we've never cut anyone off from it until about 2012, when uh, basically the US government twisted uh, the SWIFT's arm and forced them to cut Iran off completely as part of the nuclear sanctions. Um, and this caused you know, massive issues within Iran, their currency dropped, they couldn't ship anything. Um, medicine, the, getting medicine to innocent fucking people. Yeah, exactly. Like they say medicine isn't um, an item that's sanctioned, but the ships that bring the medicine in and out, they have to pay for insurance and their ability to pay for insurance was completely removed. So obviously the ships just stopped going and there's certain treatments um, like hem hemophilia. If you're a hemophiliac in Iran, you're not allowed to have surgery because they can't treat you. Um, they can't stop you from bleeding. They don't have any of the drugs to do it. Uh, if you have HIV in Iran, you're fucked. It's AIDS now. Um, if you, uh, diabetes, there's no insulin, um, multiple sclerosis, we can keep going. There's a lot of things you can't treat in Iran now. Um, and what did Iran have to do to get out of it? Like they're still under that sanction today. Well, Iran had to make friends with China because China developed a competitor to SWIFT called SIPS, C-I-P-S. It went live in 2016 
and it allows banks to communicate with each other without using the US dollar and without having to go through the SWIFT system. So you can't sanction it. You can, you can tell China to enforce a sanction and then China gets to decide if they want to or not. That's really what we can do there. And where I want to jump in real quick, like to me, that's why this is so stupid to do that because it's like, okay, you can't do this. All right, I'll figure out another way to do it. Figure out another way to do it. Okay, well, I'll figure out another way to do it. If you can't keep drugs and weapons and even guns out of prisons, right? You think of probably one of the most secure environments in the world, a prison. You can't keep drugs out of it. You can't keep so what are you gonna do? Like, hey, you can't do business with them. Well, what? Well, because it's one way we do business, we're not gonna let you do that that way anymore. Okay, well, what if I do it a different way? Well, we can't do anything about that. Oh shit. You you know, like it just yeah, it's basically it. And I feel like they're gonna these idiots are gonna double down. These idiots yeah, are gonna are. like these world leaders are gonna double down, they're gonna make everything worse. Like, you don't want us versus them when we're crumbling and we have woke fucking dance parties in the US military when they're like, I just you know, it, it's and it's maddening I'm watching this plane crash. And all they gotta do is hit this button and they'll stop. But like no, no, this bitch, you know, like like keep going towards the flaming pile of garbage. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 distressing to watch as the citizen of a country, because um, there's nothing worse than having incompetent leadership. Like if we had competent but evil people in the White House, I would be more okay with that than what we have now, uh, which just really speaks to like how bad incompetence is. Because you can do that's a lot true. more damage on accident than you can when you're intentionally trying to do damage. Yeah, that's why it's like I'd, I'd rather deal with, um, well, yeah, an evil person than an idiot because you have no idea what an idiot's going to do. Exactly. No clue. You especially know, an idiot, especially an idiot that's for sale. That's the worst because, like, at least with an evil ideology, you understand what they believe and you can figure that out. But for someone like the Clintons or Biden, I don't even think Obama falls under this as, as bad as like the Clintons and Biden. Like, they're just for sale and they don't care. They do not care. It doesn't matter. Nobody else matters. Like, for a second, one last segment, I know you were like, with Nancy Pelosi and Biden, it's like, you guys are so old. You got to still keep being evil. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're so old. And like, I'm fine. Respect to elders and everything, but like, why are you still being evil? You're still like, what, what is that last little bit of evil going to do? Like, what do you need? Like, back to 20 million? Like, what the right. fuck? I need another 100 million for like the next like fucking seven months of my life. Like, what the what the fuck if you're that fucking old and you're still evil like jesus i don't understand it like yeah. you'd think they'd have some sort of underground layer on a volcanic island to retreat to by now but like yeah, for whatever reason slither away to you know like, yeah yeah exactly like, i'm gonna rerun for office to so, like run for the president uh, jesus man but you know i mean i think half the reason they do it is because like it's easy and they know that they're gonna get the vote for it so it's like well, why not and there's right? a psychological i think reward for telling people what to yeah there most definitely is man and you know russia uh it's the the big shame of it because like if you really think about it uh i think the ethical thing to do would actually be to defend ukraine's borders that that is the ethical thing to do in my opinion but okay but what what do you mean by that well i mean i genuinely think this is aggression from russia and, you know, defending against aggression is usually an ethical thing to do. However, like, we don't have the ability to do that. Like, the reality is no. like, we don't have the capability. We don't have the My money. other issue with this, and, like, you are not the per- people, the type of people that I'm referencing here, so I just want to be clear about that. 
but I hear so many people like, well, we should go do this and we should go to this. I'm like, Hey, what's this? We shit. Do you mean like, well, you go to like fucking in and out or whatever crystal burger, whatever you got there in Texas, Whataburger, And like, you know, they go home <laughs> and play video games when I'm like fucking getting shelled and fucking, you know, ID'd and like almost stabbed in the fucking face because like, well, you signed up for it. No, no, no. I signed up to defend American freedom. I didn't to like, and here's the thing. Let's say us is running smoothly and shit and like we there's a problem over there i think i could come up with a moral way to go and help those people but our border is a fucking sieve right now we have literally fucking tyrants in the united states violating people's rights you have states violating the bill of rights maybe federal troops go fucking take care of that shit but no like i just these people that are like well we should do a sanction well we should do this but they don't have to put any skin in the game at least that they see my friends, like, and there's a reason I wear this every day. My cousin was killed. You know, he, three kids, three fucking kids for what? You know, he, I mean, he saved some lives. You know, he, only, he probably saved my life when uh, we did a raid, you know, but, uh, or at least protected it, you know, made, made me a lot safer. Like, these people that suggest to do this and where they don't have any skin in the game or that they vote for these tyrants, prove it. The first time you voted for Obama, no harm, no foul. He was only around for a little while. You know, he yes. said he by war. Okay. I the voted. second time. I voted. Was okay. I, voted. Yeah, no, I, I was a little, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, not much, but by that age, it was, I think, enough to be like, yeah, I was already in Iraq once. I'm like, I like this Ron Paul guy. This Ron Paul guy seems cool, you know, like because Obama keeps saying hope and change, but then like Ron Paul's like, This is what I would change, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but like, you know, no harm, no foul, you know, but the second time around, it's like, hey, he just did everything Bush did, but more and worse. Right? And so, like, if you vote for Biden when he has a, a half a century long voting record, he was known as the champion of Iraq. Right. Seven new wars were started under his administration where he was second in command. Well, you didn't start. Well, he's second in command. He didn't say anything negative about it. So you or picture Trump. Trump was pretty anti-war before he got in. Pretty critis- critical of it. Let's say vote for someone that doesn't have a lot of experience that's anti-war and they start a war okay how'd you see that coming i don't know like there's no way to to, to see that okay harm no foul but somebody that's always been pro-war and then starts a war you mother fucking better sign up because you are responsible for that death and destruction and if you think i should go do it if you think it's important enough to happen you should go fucking do it yourself otherwise you're an apathetic coward sorry about that rant i wasn't referring to you but i just wanted to bring that up like well we should def- you didn't say we should defend them i think you said they should be defended or something like that but- i said it was the ethical thing right so i guess my question then is how do we do that or how is it to be done the answer is we can't simply put uh you know there's a lot of things that are ethical that we can't do um you know it'd be ethical for me to feed every single homeless person i see um, just because humans deserve food and it's important, but like, I don't know. That's ethical though. Cause I used to do that. I did that, that TV show. I mentioned, I would take all the extra craft surfaces. Like the crafty mm-hmm. was great. Cause you know, it was dirt poor at the time. And so he would give me extra crafts to take home. But then like, I would take this, a lot of the um, catering and I would go down and I would feed homeless people back when it was just skin row. It wasn't everywhere in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. After spreading from like your big toe to your freaking brain. But anyways, uh, and I would feed them. And I did this for a couple months every night after work. And uh, I realized that I wasn't helping these people. I was in any of them. There's probably a few people in that group that you did help. But yeah, I would, oh, I, I I would say. That. Sorry, and I don't, I don't mean, maybe I'm getting into semantics. I think I get, I agree with what you're saying. We should help as many people as possible if there was a way to do it. 
Yeah, and you know, the one thing that I do want to bring back here based on what you were saying is um, there's this concept of like circles of care. And um, the way it goes is based on your political identity, you know, they can reliably estimate how far away your circle of care extends and how, you know, how much you have for people closest to you. So if you think about it, like the closest circle yourself is the inner circle, uh, your direct family, wife, girlfriend is like your next circle, um, your friends, exactly what you're talking circle, about. and it grows yeah. further and further out. Um, yep. People who align more on the right, their circle of care starts inward and then grows outward. So there's less care the further away you go. Um, on the left, the people you find who only care about people far away and not here, not near them are exclusively on the left. Like they found that like people on the left will care more about like a rock or a tree than they will about like their own children, for instance. Um, and th this doesn't mean that if you vote left, that's what you do. But like the people who oh, do right. that only it's good to clarify that. But yeah. And so when we start talking about like, you know, our border is a fucking sieve, but there's people on the there's people who think we should be helping the Ukrainian border. I mean, that is kind of like a characteristic of the left where someone will say, like, our border doesn't matter. Our country doesn't matter. Ukraine's border matters. Um, well, no, no, it's not that our country doesn't matter. Our country would be better with unfettered immigration from dissimilar cultures and no um, not knowing who's coming in, whether they're criminal elements or not. Uh, that's a circle of care issue again you think about it someone cares about a stranger from another country more than they care about their fellow citizens yeah, and there you go you know it's, yeah there you go and like i was having an argument that i don't normally have because i think it's a waste of my time but um crime here in the city has gotten up so crazy that we were the most dangerous city in january 2022 um which wait, is in the u.s in the u.s yeah just the u.s wait no wait did you say new york city or your city my city my city here houston Holy i'll just shit. say it out loud like yeah we had a fuck ton of murders here um, there were two shootouts within a mile of my home um, in January as well. Um, like it just, it's gotten really bad. And the reason it's happened is because we have some DAs and judges here that are, you know, Soros back oh. as usual. Um, and they, so yeah, bad. yeah, they have a specific belief about bail and jail itself, where um, the circle of care they have extends to people who committed violent crimes more than it extends to their fellow citizens in the city. And I would argue that like a criminal is probably further away from you than a nonviolent citizen, as far as like what your circle of care should be. And this is kind of a leftist issue because I was getting an argument with someone who said like, oh, well, you know, uh, this guy who committed a murder recently was out because like there was COVID in the jail and they like, they released him just so that he wouldn't get COVID. And, you know, he's not in a risk group if we want to have that conversation, but I don't. Um, but like, let's pretend he would have gotten COVID and died in jail. Instead, he came out and murdered three people um, and then died anyways in the shootout with the cops. And it's like, which one is better? And, you know, but, well, there's clearly like two options here. Like, yeah, what? And, and we're getting in the argument, like after this guy has gotten in the shootout. So like after he's murdered people and they're like, well, they had to let him out. Otherwise he'd get COVID in jail. Like, that's not what you care about. That's not a rational care. For Love that Steve Urkel that. voice. He's just kind like, of <laughs> Like, but it, it's like the, the circle of care is like one of these um, one of these concepts that I think has been so broken. Um, like even like the the idea of environmentalism at the expense of all else. Um, well, there, there we go. Individualism versus collectivism. It models that that you know circle of care yeah, uh, model perfectly. You know, it, or follows that. Like it's just, it, you know, I mentioned earlier about how like 
I have not been the most successful person in the film industry for other reasons, like ADD and whatever, dealing with anxiety and all this other shit, which I, I, you know, mastered, you know, overcome or not mastered, but like, you know, done well with. But as far as like work ethic and focus, I've done really well for myself. And it's because I mentioned before, I'm just trying to be the best cog in the machine. What's my immediate area? What can I make the, the best? And if everybody on a film set or in a military company does that, that's fucking that's some strong shit, right? And I feel like that's the same thing with circle of care. Like if your family's good, then you don't have to worry about them anymore and you can go help other people. And I realize I'm preaching to the choir right here, but like, it just seems to make more sense logically, just like scientifically. You know, if you just do like ones and zeros, what's the ones and zeros of like, okay, your family's now healthy. How's your neighbor doing? Well, now your neighbor's healthy. How about your other neighbor? Okay, cool. Um, well, the town next over needs some help, but your town's doing pretty good now. Versus like, hey, I'm going to go to the south side of Chicago while like Los Angeles is like falling apart. You know, like what, who, how, what, you know? And, you know, this also kind of ties into the conversation you had with your friend earlier. Um, you know, you mentioned that you like to stay in your lane, uh, respecting the, the chain of command in a lot of ways. Like on the movie set, for instance, you know, you don't go straight to the person that you need to talk to. You make sure you following the correct processes and sticking to what you know and what you don't know. Whereas your friend is like, well, we should have economic sanctions. Like your friend has an opinion about something he knows nothing about and he's incredibly strong in his opinion and hasn't done like the proper research to at least have it be a valid opinion. And also isn't like suggested. Really place. Yeah, it's just a, a thing to throw out. And like, this is a circle of care issue again, you know, like thinking that you can care about something you don't know about. Um, that's, I think that's a big mistake that's made by a lot of people. And I, I'm guilty of it myself too sometimes, but it's important to really step back and ask yourself, like, do I have the necessary wisdom to have a valid opinion about this? And, you know, there's a lot of times I have to find myself saying no. Um, even when I do think I know the answer, like, I still have to say like, no, this isn't, uh, this is me. That's something I've had to work with. Um, you know, probably from, you know, growing up where I've grown up and living where I've lived, um, you know, I'm trying to come back towards you in terms of that sense and like figuring out like, okay, where do I fit in? What is my lane and how do I stay in it? And, you know, it's been a, a big thing for me to learn over my, the last decade of my life. And it's probably what has been shifting the connections I make away from people that I used to be my friends. It's like suddenly like, I believe I have a very specific lane and I treat people the same way I treat myself. Um, yeah, I, would that's, say, that's key. I would say actually I'm a bit more lenient on other people than I am on myself. Cause I, I'm yeah, very same. harsh on myself when it comes to like, um, that's your lane. That's not like people ask me questions about the stock market and I'll tell them like, Hey dude, that's not my lane. Man. Like that's how like specific I get with this shit. Um, but you know, as I start noticing my friends not doing that, I become a bit more harsh to them. And I, I think that also, causes some of this uh this rift in a lot of ways but um to be honest I, I just i can't help it i don't think people should be stepping outside of their lane and i think the world goes a lot better when people are in their lane uh you know your movie that doesn't mean be, you can't expand your lane either of course but it takes time and necessary sacrifice and a lot of people aren't willing to do that uh you know you put the work in like okay for instance right now like with me quitting my job i'm pivoting into something completely different that i don't want to tell people about just yet um, because like right now it's not my lane and it's going to take years for it to be my lane. I mean, and the costumes are expensive. <laughs> and, uh, you gotta book all the parties. It's just, it gets like, I understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. But there, there's... everywhere. 
got to get a new vacuum. There, there is a certain humility that's, I, I think, required to really actually have a valid opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely, man. And, you know, you you said you started as a PA, um, and you said you were older than most people. Oh, still alone on a film set, yeah. Yeah, and you were completely fine with paying your dues and making the necessary sacrifices to climb and get to where you were. And, you know, when you understand that, the world goes so much better. I noticed a couple times in the military, because I was a hard charger and I was talented, and I really want, I really believed in being all you could be. Back when that was, the, I don't even know what the slogan is now, probably like, <laughs> do, a, do, a, do a damn TikTok dance and whatever. Um, I, have I wish we could have something. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was fine, especially if you do push-ups. But fucking, ah! I had this little girl. With her... Dude, ad, no. Um, so where the fuck was I going with this? Though? Oh, there was some times in the military where I got thrown into a leadership position that I wasn't ready for yet. Now you know people say, well, sometimes you're not. You know, well, you'll never be ready. Well, that's not true. What I'm saying is, I sought something out maybe a little sooner than I should have. You know what I mean? And I, and I recognized that. And so then I would, you know, do it till the position was up, but then I would try to learn from it and not do that again, you know, cause like I was so focused on advancing, move up, move up, move up. That when I finally got to the film industry, I was like, this is your lane. Just do it, do it really good. Okay. What's next. Okay. Yeah. It's a little risky. Like, you know, acting in a movie for the first time, that was really risky, but fucking casting director thought I should be there. The director thought I should be there. All right, let's get it. You know, but like, don't, don't overextend yourself. Don't like, you know, I think the real way to master things is to, to take your time to get there, I guess is I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I wanted to point out, like I have been in positions where maybe I shouldn't have been yet. And it did feel uncomfortable. And I think also because of that whole self-critical, I want to do a good job. It's like, okay, cool. I'm here, but it doesn't feel as good. Like when I was working on tenant, dude, that movie tenant, I was in charge of 300 people on a two to $300 million movie with one of the top directors in the world with Chinook helicopters in fucking crazy, like over hundred degrees, some days below like around 50, the other days. And that was the first film job. It was the most responsibility I've ever had. It was the first time I felt like I deserve to be there. I know what I'm doing. I feel confident in my direction and what, and it felt fucking amazing, man. But it was from all those times of like working my way up to this, working my way up to this. And I've been in positions where I didn't feel comfortable. This was the biggest one I've ever had. I felt 100% confident that I deserved to be there and I would do a decent job. You know, that was an incredible feeling. Yeah, and I wish more people got the opportunity to have that feeling because it's really rare to be somewhere and to just be extremely competent and also to have it be a place that you really want to be. Um, there were a few times I was there in my career as well. And it was a weird feeling because I remember spending just years and years of like doing something and just being uncertain, not quite knowing what was up. And then all of a sudden there was a time where like, not only did I know the answers to questions, but I knew what we should be doing next. And I was willing to like get the process started and tell people where to go, what to do. And it was, you know, it's, it's, it's very rare and it's something that has to be earned, I think. And even me, I'm still young. Like, um, you know, there's a lot more in the future I have to work towards to get. And... I mean, though, it's all over now. <laughs> all over. <laughs> yeah, man, broadcasting from the retirement home, right? <laughs> well, so okay. that's what this is hiding, the, the, the panic button behind here for when I fall over. Yeah. Uh, 
also, I think we got about like 10 minutes left here before we need to wrap up. So, um, yep. you know, are there any like major topics you want to make sure that we cover or anything that we've missed that you're thinking? You about? know, for, for, this is our third podcast and it's definitely got a lot smoother. Um, first one, <laughs> running on empty was the perfect title for it. I think we're still mm-hmm. stuff up. We're going to get better at staying on topic. And yeah, Ukraine was a big thing. I think we talked about it enough. Like right now, our, our goal is just to bring like real conversation and um and so i think for our third podcast i think we did pretty good i do want to pay attention to what's happening what these idiots do like yeah there's i don't know like is it our job to punish russia like there's a lot of there, there's a lot of nuance here there's a lot of things that like i mean did you did you get a chance to listen to that uh black pigeon speaks podcast no, no not yet um actually the first, I- the first hour is pretty decent can, can I actually interrupt you here and like change yeah, yeah, yeah. completely? Um, yeah. I think I'd like to get your input on this. So thinking about what's happening in Ukraine right now, um, you know, things are fairly destabilizing. Um, it's unlikely that U.S. will be able to like realistically step in in a meaningful way. Um, it's very likely the same thing will happen in Taiwan. And, you know, I, I do have to wonder about like for people here in the U.S., when we start thinking about preparing for a future where the U.S. is no longer a hegemon, I think we need to start thinking about our own like self-reliability, what we can do for ourselves, what we can be for ourselves. So, I mean, there's going to be issues with food shortages, energy shortages, um, equipment shortages, semiconductor shortages. Um, you're going you're to have trouble like repairing appliances like fridges, uh, stoves, things that you would normally just buy a new one. You're going to have to repair and the labor for that's going to be in short supply. And right now we have time to prepare for that future. And, you know, when we start thinking about like, how we want to survive in that future that's likely going to be created by this. Um, you know, the, the concept of this episode was supposed to be tribes and about having people around us that we know we can trust. Um, how do you feel about building people around you in a network, knowing how, you, how you're going to survive in a world of shortages, in a world of where, you know, things are shifting from the U.S. being in charge to someone else? Um, you know, what sort of skills would you like to cultivate around people you know and trust? Oh, first off, like, what do you need? We need, what is, what is the order of things we need? Oxygen, water, expo- uh, oxygen, shelter, water, food. Those, those, those second two are kind of, you know, you can go a few days without water, but then you're done, right? Uh, you can go much longer without food. Most people that die out in the wilderness, because in order to figure out what we need, let's take it to square one. You're naked and afraid. No, you're naked in the middle of nowhere. Okay, what do you need to survive? We need air, okay? So, make sure you know okay we got air okay that i don't want to worry about that one too much right now next is uh water and shelter do you have enough water to survive for a bare minimum of three days in your apartment in your house okay cool now do you have some form of shelter okay great uh food do you have food okay after you have that do you have a means to defend yourself okay. um i almost went down and got one of my walkie talkies we'll have an episode on communication do you have communication in case cell towers go down? Okay, once you have that stuff, you're no longer a burden on other people. Let's make sure our friends have that stuff and our true friends. Like my Christmas presents, I gave like my sister 25 watt mobile radio for her car, my brother-in-law 50 watt GMRS radio for his truck. I'm gonna get them one for their apartment. My nieces have little cute kid walkie-talkies that can talk to them. And um, my sister and brother-in-law, my parents all have five watt GMRS radios, right? So what? I know what I can do. I can build things. I can do basic farming. I can uh, keep people out of fight and defend themselves. What can't I do? 
who do I know? And this is something that you know, me and the Draken guys talk about. Who do, who do we have in our community that can like um, do the things that we can't? Let's like invite more people. And so the first thing I think you have to do is become reasonably self-reliant, right? What, what do you, um, can you provide for yourself in a natural disaster? Okay. Once I got that, can all of my close friends provide for a natural disaster. Okay. Who else do we need to know? Like the underwater basket weaver, BuzzFeed vault, you know, BuzzFeed blogger, they're going to be, uh, what's the opposite of an asset? A liability. They're going to be a liability, right? Well, if you love that person, how do you make them an asset? If they can't be an asset, okay, find other assets. You know? um, there was this one kid that worked on a bunch of my short films. My DP is like, hey, are you going to bring back uh, this guy? I'm like, his last name is Rodriguez. And he wasn't a filmmaker. And I don't remember how he ended up on one of my film sets. And we're talking low budget student shorts. He was so fucking positive, right? He just made like, he would just walk by and everybody be grumbling because filmmaking is hard work. I mean, it can be a lot of fun too, but it's, it's hard work, especially when you're running on low budgets and stuff. And he'd just walk by, hey guys, hey guys. And he'd walk away like with a little more pep in your step. Even though that guy didn't know anything about filmmaking, he was an asset to have on set. So it doesn't necessarily just have to be people that, you know, how does the power grid work? But like, I think you need to get people, but those things, like just focus on the simple things to stay alive and then find people that can do those skills. Do you have farmer friends that are good at gardening? Do you have a seamstress friend who knows how to make quilts and clothes? Do you, it doesn't mean that in the future we're going to have to be making clothes, but if somebody can fix stuff, if somebody, if we have all those little different cogs, then we have a solid machine. You know what I mean? Do you know any medics? Do you know any doctors? That's huge, Right. And then also, like, are you a fat piece of shit, you know, or are you a fat person that's trying to become on fat? Because those are two different things. You know, I'm, I, got, I got some pictures back from my, I taught a fight, fighting carving course two weekends ago, uh, a carving, uh, you know, rifle class. I'm a thick boy right now, buddy. <laughs> I thought of you and like, you're no sugar kick. I'm like, right, I'll get back on this shit. Um, but are, are you in physical shape? Okay, cool. How can you help your friends become in physical, great physical shape without, being rude or dealing with whatever psychological issues they might have or whatever. Like I helped a ton of people get in the shape, dude. My, I got this buddy, his name's Gary, uh, older, he grew up with my dad, a little older than my dad. I worked on family farm with him. I just sent him some carnivore stuff on Facebook a while back. I went back to Wisconsin. He's like, gave my dad a hundred dollars to give me because we kept missing each other. And when I called him, hey, thanks for this hundred bucks. Like he's a very generous guy, good guy and everything. Not super wealthy, but you know, good guy. And um, he, I thought he was just like helping me out because he knew my Hollywood shut down or whatever. He's like, well, you earned it. You turned me on to this carnivore thing and I lost like 60 pounds and I don't need this surgery anymore. And, you know, I do this. And my family thinks it's weird, but like, just because like, I knew, you know, Gary was having some health issues. So I said, Hey man, just look into this, you know? So I don't know if this is answering your question, but I think when you want to build your community, like get to the basics, food, shelter, water, defense, right? Those things are important. So who can, who can contribute, you know, and, and what can you contribute to them to make it worthwhile? Does that make any sense? Of course, of course. And it's, it's a great answer too, because when we talk about these events like Ukraine, and I was kind of caught Canada, off guard by that question, just so you know, that wasn't, yeah, I figured, That's I figured why I was a little like, but no, it's a good answer. Cause like, you know, we can think about the events as they're happening, or we can think about what this pretends for our own future. And, you know, I think a lot of institutions and systems that people have depended on for almost their entire lives 
are going to be things that are relics of the past and that we have to start figuring out how to provide for ourselves or how to survive in a world where maybe we're missing something. Um, and, you know, I want people to start really thinking along those lines, you know, because we import 700 million tons of fertilizer from Russia. Uh, if we cut them off from the SWIFT system, okay, well, I guess we're not getting the fertilizer. Um, you know, on top of China already cutting off their fertilizer exports from uh, last year. Um, and I received a, an image earlier today showing corn futures and soybean futures. Um, overnight, they're up 36 and 46% just because but of what's going was on. already happening too, just to the reaction to the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff is going further and further and further. And I think people expect that supply chains are just going to magically fix themselves. When in reality, most of the, the processes that would do that have been irreparably damaged or broken. Um, that like the chains have just been snapped in like a lot of different ways. And people need to start thinking about, you know, local community. And I'm not talking about prepping, but I am talking about just knowing what you would do if you lost something. So like- I just wanted to throw this out here real quick. Mm -hmm. This is a four, $4 bucket and a $2 lid from Home Depot. And it was, <laughs> It's got a little gasket in it, and I unfortunately broke the little little seal, but this will still seal up. Mm -hmm. In this five-gallon bucket, like, it shocked me when this pandemic started. I was calling all my friends. I had to put a sense of urgency in place. Just go get two weeks extra groceries. And a lot of people in a city like this, you know, I spend half my time in the Midwest and half my time out here. Sorry, but, um, and so, like, just getting people just to get a little bit of extra groceries blew my mind. Where I grew up, we'd buy a cow for my uncle and keep it in the chest freezer downstairs. They're like, well, I don't have room to, you know, save this much. Okay, so five-gallon bucket, you can put it in your closet. In it, I have, what is it, uh, how many pounds? Sorry. Okay, 10-pound bag of parboiled rice. And then a seven-pound bag of rice. And I got underneath it just a bunch of canned chicken, canned tuna, and some chili. And that, you know, is this, is this going to like, you know, make a gourmet meal? No, but I'll be alive for like a month on this. Easy. Mm -hmm. Easy. Me. You know, will I lose some weight? Sure. But like, throw a thing of multivitamins in there and all I need then is water, you know, like I can live off of that. And it's a five gallon bucket. And so if there's a disaster and the thing is like, okay, you have this maybe for a Christmas present when you're building your community, give them one, give them a bucket. Like this is, I don't know what this is, but every time you go to the grocery store, just get some tuna, just get something that'll store for a while. You know, and I think we really need to start doing this because if everybody had a, just a bug out bag, it's your three day bag, things would be so much less stressful when something actually happens. You know, it's like when they say, you know, you don't need to be wealthy, but you need to have a certain amount of money to have a more happy life. And that's because then you're not worried about when your water heater breaks. You're not worried about, okay, there's an emergency. Yeah, it sucks, but like we can handle it. So stress, man, stress affects health and relationships and everything so much. If you just get a five-gallon bucket, fill it with some food that lasts a few years, and then you can write the date when everything, you know, the, when the youngest thing or whatever, the quickest thing expires, write it on there. You just fucking roll through it then. You switch this and make some, make some chili and some hamburger helper, and you start a new bucket out two years later, you know? Exactly. And, you know, if you live in an area like here, hurricanes happen. Uh, when Hurricane Harvey hit, I was trapped inside for a week straight. Uh, could not even walk outside. It was pouring rain. The whole place was flooded. There was nothing to do. And, you know, the idea, storms, did that affect you? Uh, yeah, it did. It did. Um, but I was just chilling here. Uh, one of my friends came over and actually I, I let him crash here because his place was uh, 
uh, wasn't doing too well. It was out of power and shit. I mean, I ran out of power as well. well. We talked about that on the phone. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, just having anything ready, like you said, a three-day bug out back, you know, on top of like not being a burden to your community, um, you know, think about how much less money has to be spent on federal survival, you know, what's the word? Um, whenever, whenever FEMA comes in, whenever there's like an injury, not an injury, geez, I can't talk right now. <laughs> whenever there's a, a major catastrophe, it's natural disaster. Right? A natural disaster. That's the word. Uh, it's expensive. And if you're not one of the people in line waiting there for food, you're freeing up a spot for someone who maybe can't afford it. Because there, there's no real excuse. Like if you can't afford food and you don't have two weeks of food, like go out and buy two weeks of food. Just some non-perishable. Start with stuff. a bag of white parboiled rice. It mm-hmm. keeps and then double bag it. Okay, cool. Right? A couple cans of tuna. Some sardines. Those are way healthier. I, I should have had some bunch of sardines in here, but I was going to feed them all to my dog. Um, yeah, sardines. Get those omega-3s. Like, that's it. Go, go get some fucking lifeboat rations. Just throw in the back of your car. They keep for like five, ten years, man. You know? Yeah. Just and, to be alive, you know? And if you want warm food, you can get um, one of those little, like, jellies. Uh, mountain, mountain house. Yeah, exactly. And you can, you can buy some soup. You can heat up some soup over a little flame. It doesn't take much. I'm uh, sure you got to boil it, but it's not a big deal. I mean, there's lots of things that you can get that can be uh, disaster proof and make you a, a little bit more disaster resilient. Um, and, you know, the worst case is like Paul said, you just have to eat it one day. And, you know, considering inflation, you're probably going yeah, to. That's, earn- that's my other <laughs> argument with the pandemic. Like, get groceries now because they're going to get more expensive, at least for a little while. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, okay. I'll think about it. I had one friend that was like, well, I thought you were crazy, but I thought about it. And there's earthquakes in LA. We didn't have any earthquake stuff. I do have a brand new son. So then I went out and got it. I and mean, holy shit, everything happened, like you said. Yeah. I mean, inflation alone makes buying things in bulk, like, just. Uh, here's a stat actually that I like a lot because I think it's hilarious of the the 30 largest hedge funds in the US um there were like three that were able to return more than like 24% last year if you just bought groceries last year you outperformed almost all of the best hedge funds in the US like really think about that you know it's not hard just buy your shit in bulk uh you buy shampoo why not just buy five of them you got enough for a year well, so like I can't buy like to- uh, toilet paper or fucking uh, paper towels at Costco in my apartment. In my place, it was in uh, the Midwest, not a problem. But like here, I can't do that. There's no like, you know, yeah. that's my couch. Hey, it's, I got a new couch. I got another roll of paper towels. You know, I know what you mean. I've got them sitting under my bar. <laughs> it's a, it's not a good look. They're out in the open. You can see them from the living room. Like I just, I don't have enough closet space for it either. And like my closet closet's full of like ammo, guns, and shit. Although I well, that's the other thing too. Like, hey, sense. you know, it's about not being a burden. There's a firearm for everyone, even if you're disabled. Uh, unless I had a friend who listened to me go off on rants on set, and we do got to wrap this up soon. But um, he was like, hey, Paul, you know, I listened to a bunch of your rants. I, I really agree with a lot. I didn't realize it, but I agree with a lot of what you said. And I think you get a firearm. Here's the problem. I suffer from serious bouts of very serious depression. Well, you probably shouldn't get a firearm. But I tell you what, motherfucker, somebody kicks down that door and you're standing there defending your fiance with a fucking three curve bow and a big ass broadhead coming out of the front. That dude's going to think twice before <laughs> entering that room. He's like, huh, dude went out and like fucking got into archery and is like, meditation for him arms doesn't mean guns but you should be armed. you should have a way to become proficient in arms just here's the cool thing folks 
Guns are the easiest. Like, I got a samurai sword in there. I got a, a gladius, a fucking Roman gladius. I got, I mean, all that shit. I got a ton of tomahawks. Dude, I train in martial arts. Not as much recently, but I've done it most of my life. Um, I feel fairly confident in most scuffles I get into. Um, I'm not going to fight an MMA fighter. Um, but the thing is, all those years of martial arts training and everything, months training with this and you're now equal to me or more so. Uh, I think it's a responsibility. Like, say you don't like guns. Okay, that's great. Guns don't care about your feelings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you have kids you want to expose them to them in a responsible manner there's a bunch of videos where like a local news group will take kids and they'll put them in a, a library or something and they have a couple of replica hidden fake guns and all the kids who grew up with guns as soon as they see it they like try to get out or knock on the door they say hey put that down all the kids that don't they're like oh look at you. <laughs> you know like it's your responsibility to not just be able to protect you but to protect your community and if your community is bringing you in Okay. And like you have, what would you do for them? You know, don't be a burden where somebody has to like protect you. Let's say you're in a wheelchair. Okay. You can still learn how to use a fucking pistol. And if you have some like, uh, you know, mental disorder where you can't do that, get a, get a recurve bow. It's a lot harder to kill yourself with a recurve bow than it is a pistol. Um, like say you're, you know, you have like uh, your amputee or something like that. Okay, cool. Come up with a different way to contribute to the community. I, I understand. Don't feel hard on yourself. If like there's some like physical thing you're born with, but like, Learn how to use a firearm. Seriously, it is the ultimate equalizer. I don't care what if you're a communist. I'll teach you how to carry a firearm. I will. I don't care. I understand you. We have different feelings about the, the whole speech thing, but like, the more people that carry, the more people realize, like, oh shit, this is a legitimate thing. Like, I, I just, I don't know. anyways. Absolutely, and that's a perfect note for us to wrap up on. Buy a fucking firearm if you don't have one. And if you do have one, train with it. Learn how to use it. Just be be better than you were yesterday. And if you do that, uh, you can, and you can buy one before you know how to use it. That's okay. You just don't fucking play around with it. Like there are a million good YouTube videos on dry fire drills. That means there's no bullets. It's impossible to hurt anybody unless you drop it on your toe. You might stub your toe, right? You can get, you can buy something and then take it to a class. You don't just have to like, well, I got to get trained first. If you want to get trained first, we'll make sure you do it. But you can buy something. Get a Glock 19. I'm not, I'm not even a huge Glock guy, but it's great. Get a Glock 19, go to a class. If you if you don't know what to get, you don't want to think about it or whatever, just go get a Glock 19. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Like, I don't really like Glocks either, but they're really, really intuitive to shoot. They feel great in the hands and they do their job. And yeah, yeah, They're effective and they work. They're reliable. Exactly. Yeah, it's super reliable. I mean, there's some minor issues with them. People like to replace the sight posts. Um, the trigger can be a bit mushy. I, I don't like the grip, really gripping. Cares. That's the only thing I don't like about them. I don't like the gripping. Everything yeah, else. Yeah, that's, that's also why I'm not really much of a fan of them. Um, I'm much bigger fan of like the, the You're an FN guy, right? No, no. SIG. SIG, SIG. I got one oh, right okay. here, actually. I want to see it before we... It's just uh, the SIG P229. P229. Okay. There yeah, you go. Yeah, man. Action. All right. Yeah, it's, it's a nice feeling. It works well. It fits in my hands. Super nice. It's enjoyable. Uh, that's going to be the screenshot, by the way. Or uh, that's going to be one of the screenshots. <laughs> where I'm like looking in and you're like, oh, looking cool, James Bond. Actually, why not? I'll go back and look at it and see how it looks. But anyways, let's wrap this one up here. Um, yep. This was a, a nice episode. I appreciate all of y'all listening to us. If you want to find us, um, my name is Flirt Cheap. You can find me on Instagram before I get shadow banned. That's at Flirt Cheap. 
Um, I'm also writing on Substack. You can find me there. It's flirtcheap.substack.com. And Paul? Um, Mav11B on Instagram. And then we do have Thunderpunk Radio on Instagram and uh, Facebook. We have Facebook. I, we haven't done anything with it yet. Do have a YouTube channel now, and we will have a Rumble. And um, Rumble is the one I really want to do in BitChute. Awesome. And I think I think that's about it. I think that's enough too. So, All right. That sounds oh, perfect. also, if you have any questions, um, if you're in the Southern California area, this isn't really an advertisement for them, but hit up Drake and Train Division. Um, find me on my Instagram, send me a DM, tell you too many that I can't, you know, anything tactical, you know, hit me up, you know, for personal defense, just shoot me a message and I'll try to get back to you. So, yeah. And also I'd just like to endorse Paul. Like if you ask him any question about guns, tactics, anything, it'll blow you away with what he knows on the subject. Like, yeah, please don't take the beginning (laughs) of the video of me stumbling through the AK, like without my caffeine is like, Check out my videos on gameology, especially. Have you seen the most recent one? Uh, I haven't seen the most recent one yet. Which, oh, it's it, funny. It's, you did Team Fortress. Oh yeah. Oh it's, okay. All right. I, I'm gonna watch that tonight, it's, man. It's funny. It's I'm most proud of that video than the first one they ever released. But uh, also, thank you to all the gameology people. About dude, they must have released a video in Russia because for like a month, like two a day, Russians are following me and they're like messaging me and stuff. It's it's cool. But uh, yeah, thank you to all the gameology people. Thank you to everybody else um, for, for listening to us uh, rant. And, uh, you know, as uh, we, we put out more of these, I, I'm, I'm excited. So, All right. Well, we will talk to you all later.